Here we are again. It's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy rolling through on the Hogwarts Express to your audio listening device. We are here again, baby. Rolling off the rails. Malice in the chalice, baby. Rolling off the rails on a crazy train? I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely. So- uh yeah it's it's old ozzy osborne for the for the young folks that are listening they might not know about him <laughs> off the rails on a hogwarts train <laughs> yeah oh ozzy remember he was known for biting the heads off bats he would have done well in uh the uh harry potter universe <laughs> i mean trust me I, I swear if he was on that hogwarts express when the dementors came they would have gone right back the other way once they saw his face <laughs> he would scare the dementors away that's great <laughs> <laughs> definitely i don't even think azkaban could have held that man down he's <laughs> something else remember that it's like kind of it's like kind of interesting to see like what he was like, like I would say during the those prime years, and like now it's like it's even hard for him to have like a regular conversation. It's crazy the the effect that uh, the wear and tear will do to the body, man. Yeah, man. Remember they had that show, The Osbournes, for the for a while. I never watched it, but I do know what you're talking about. <laughs> I never watched it either. I just still remember. Uh, basically, he would say two words the whole show, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, this is amazing." It was the Jersey Shore for drug addicts, is what it was. Then, like, Sharon would, like, do the whole thing from there. That's her name, right? Sharon? Yeah, Sharon. Sharon is Karen. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's her name, though. Sharon, man. Yeah. uh, Yeah, he doesn't really do anything anymore. I remember he came out with that song, Bang, Bang, You're Dead. (laughs) That was, like, in, uh, what, uh, already been 10 years ago now. Bang. I never even heard that song. The last I knew, he did that little like cameo with Post Malone, um, like "I Feel You Crumbling," my... something like oh, that. Oh, I forgot. I yeah, he did. Yeah, that he one. just did that little thing with uh, with Post not so long ago. But not to get too freaking off track today yeah, with you guys, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. We we went down the rabbit hole there, but no, we are we are glad to uh, to bring us back on the tracks. On the Hogwarts Express, we we left for a little bit with the crazy train, but we're bringing us back here. <laughs> uh, no, man, I'm, I'm really excited to to be back and then taking the stab at uh, part two today, where we'll tackle chapters uh, uh, ten through fifteen. That'll be uh, the Marauders map through the Quidditch Cup final. That'd be great. I know we tackled uh, the beginning of the book through chapter nine last week. Did some good stuff. Uh, I mean, we're still we're still listed on the feature uh, list for Podbean on thirteenth uh, week in a row. So. Can't go wrong there. Gotta love the, uh, gotta love the accolades, man. <laughs> gotta love it. Malice in the chalice, man. I haven't gotten a malice Everybody. in the chalice in a while. Yeah. All right. Stop. Who knows? Maybe some cards or something will come out today. We haven't thrown the cards anyway, so. And it's been a while, but here's the thing: like Harry Potter doesn't have a whole lot of, you know, when we talk about the plot holes, that's kind of almost like our debates in a way because we can kind of think about it, but. Yeah, we haven't really had to use them, which uh, not necessarily a bad thing either. It means that we're we're kind of uh, seeing eye to eye on the on the Harry Potter series, which is hard not to, right? I mean, it was written for for children, so it's not terror. There's not too many different ways you can really take a a, a stance on it. I guess it's pretty it's pretty black and white as opposed yeah. to other pieces of literature where you know it could be going in twelve different directions. So, although you know, in this book here, we got some cool kind of plot twists. Uh, that are, are in waiting in the works, I should say. So 
What do you think we should uh, just jump on in and, and give them what they want? Yeah, man. Let's let's dive into it. What do you say? I'll let you take yeah, it away dude. from here, man. Sounds good. I mean, just to kind of give the old breakdown like we usually do, recovering our uh, five key outlines that we do for every single uh, episode. I mean, I should say four because we're not doing the top five magical creatures until next week when mm-hmm. we finish up the throughout the remainder of the book. But we'll be tackling our uh, favorite moments, foreshadowed events, potential plot holes and discrepancies, and interesting facts uh, today. Like we always do, we'll start with... Uh, the, you know, we'll start from the chapter 10 and we'll go through, uh, now we're going to go through chapter 15. We're going to just kind of do it all in one fell swoop since there's only five chapters where last week we split it up between start of book to Hogwarts and then from Hogwarts to chapter, uh, through the end of chapter nine. So because we've got a little bit less chapters, we're just going to go straight through and go, um, you know, our foreshadowed events, favorite moments, plot holes, and interesting facts just kind of from where we're picking up to where we're ending today. Does that sound good? Let's do it. Let's keep it cool, uh, man. Keep it on the rails. <laughs> keep it, staying on the rails on the Hogwarts train. Yeah, that's Alrighty. great. That's awesome. Let's do it, man. So for me, uh, just to kind of tackle the favorite moments, I'll start us off on page 183. This is just one of my favorite moments that I like because, like, Ginny always be sending Harry. Like, you remember he sent, like, the Valentine last uh uh, book in Chamber of Secrets, she sent him that like dwarf guy Valentine singing thing, and like she's always had a crush on him, right? Well, now like because remember when we left off last week, Harry's in the hospital wing because he fell off the broomstick when they lost the match against uh, your boy Cedric Diggory and Hufflepuff. So now she sends him like a get well card, and he was saying like it sang shrilly until he covered it underneath his fruit bowl. So Ginny <laughs> be sending uh, Harry some. Some get well soon. Uh, Loosen some up get my well buttons, soon cards. baby. Uh, sir, she's 12 years old. You're going <laughs> to need to relax. You're going to need to relax over there. Oh, All right. remember that one? I want to make love in this club. <laughs> We're not in a club. We're in a high school, and she's 12, and you're going to be respectful, sir. <laughs> you're going to be Fair respectful. Enough. That's uh, so, next book. That's the next book when we start getting into well, the, There's uh, a couple books away. Now, Cho Chang, now, now we're talking. See, <laughs> and I'll bring this up I'll bring this up at the end when we go through this whole thing, but it's no secret. I think Harry should have ended up with Cho Chang. Screw Harry and Ginny. That's a dumb match. I know that yeah. uh, that's mm-hmm. not what people want to hear, but dude, Cho and dude, Team Cho and Harry, baby. <laughs> Team Cho. Cho's a Ravenclaw, man. We're not the strongest. Yeah, we're the fastest, but we are the, the smartest. smartest. We'll let you 100%. take the blow. <laughs> now, <laughs> page 184, Harry starts to get a little bit nervous about the Grim. Like, he said, he even mentions, like, he said, I haven't told anyone of the Grim, not even Ron or Hermione, because he knew Ron would panic and Hermione would scoff, but the fact remained that, however, it now appeared twice, and both appearances had been followed by a near-fatal accident. First time, he had nearly been run over by the night bus, the second he had fallen 50 feet from his broomstick. So, like, this now he's starting to really put some stock into this whole grim omen. Harry himself is. Like, you know, before you kind of just was like, oh, what am I seeing? But now he's getting a little nervous. So, I found that as a fun little favorite moment there. Uh, page 185, I would be very surprised uh, if anyone else caught on to this just because it's so they kind of slip it in there as not a big part. But uh, Ron threw a crocodile heart at Malfoy and hit him in the <laughs> face with it. So that was in Professor Snape's class, and it actually costed Gryffindor 50 points uh, for their house there. So 
And was it worth it? I say yes. You got to hit Malfoy in the face with a crocodile heart. That's pretty cool. So 50 points, take the 50. Who cares? <laughs> um, going on to page 187, Professor Lupin starts to really explain what Dementors are. In his mm-hmm. own words, he says, Dementors are among the foulest creatures that walk this earth. They infest the darkest, filthiest places. They glory in decay and despair. They drain peace, hope, and happiness out of the air around them. Even muggles feel their presence, though they cannot see them. Get too near to a Dementor, and every good feeling, every happy memory will be sucked out of you. And if it can, the Dementor will feed on you long enough to reduce you to something like itself. Soulless and evil. You'll be nothing. You'll be left with nothing but the worst experiences of your life, and the worst that happened to you, Harry, is enough to make anyone fall off their broom, and you have nothing to be ashamed of. So we get an idea, full spectrum. That's the description from Lupin when it comes to these Dementors. We're starting to realize, hey man, like that—that's that's the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> that's just gonna happen here. You're gonna have to figure out how we're gonna fight these things, right? So, and then two pages later, to get into that point, Lupin agrees to help Harry fight the Dementors, but he says, hey, listen, it's got to be after next term. We start to realize Lupin's been getting sick fairly often. How, uh, once per month, as it happens to be, <laughs> he yeah. gets a little he gets a little ill. So, uh, in page 191 to 192, this is, you know, you know me, guys, big Fred and George man, and they take Harry to the side, and they decide to give him the coolest gift maybe of all time honestly between the invisibility cloak that his dad had that Dumbledore gave to him and the Marauder's Map I don't even know which one is more useful the Marauder's Map is pretty dang useful man so to give everyone an idea obviously most people who've read or watched everything kind of have a decent idea of the Marauder's Map but what it really does is it shows on Hogwarts grounds Every single student and staff member and ghost and poltergeist and cats, owls, whatever. Like even Mrs. Norris shows up on the Marauders. It shows every entity or being on the Hogwarts grounds at all times. So that's useful in a couple ways. Number one, if you know you want to do what Fred and George encourage Harry to do and sneak out and go to Hogsmeade, you know where all the people are to stay away from. Like if they're near the secret passageways that they find, you can wait off. But you know. To not to foreshadow too far in the future, there's a name that comes up on this Marauders map that people haven't seen for 13 years. So, I think that's something that I want to mention yeah. just quickly there. And uh, so they talk about the Fred and George talk about the seven secret passageways. And I'm gonna go ahead and give you guys a rundown of what those passageways are. So, and we got uh, there's seven in all. And he says, Filch knows about these four, and he pointed them out. But we're sure that we're the only ones that know about these. Don't bother with the one behind the mirror on the fourth floor. So the mirror on the fourth floor was one of them, but it's been since uh, blocked and caved in. He said, we don't reckon anyone's ever used this one because the Whomping Willow is planted right over the entrance. So this is actually a foreshadow and one of my favorite moments (laughs) right there. And then, but this one here, Harry, this one leads right into the cellar of Honeydukes. We used it loads of times. And as you might have noticed, the entrance is right outside this room through that one-eyed witch's statue. So now we have an idea of a little bit where these secret passages are. Fred and George have taken the Marauder's map, and we don't know who the Marauders are yet, but we will later on. 
but they caused a little bit of uh, mischief themselves, and they were the the kings of mischief at their heyday. So Fred and Georgia picked up the torch, if you if you will. So, um, then we go to uh, page one ninety eight. That's when uh, Hermione decides that she wants to be a party pooper. Um, she goes. But Harry isn't going to keep it talking about the Marauders map as though the idea were because he's going to hand it in to Professor McGonagall, aren't you? And Harry said, no, I'm not. <laughs> no, Absolutely <sir>. not. <laughs> oh, Absolutely <man>. not. <laughs> so basically Absolutely she not. wants him to hand it in because like, she's worried that like Sirius Black is using these passageways to get in and out of the school, which she has a decent point, not to ruin anything later on, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, man, I just I thought that was interesting that she decided she's going to take it upon herself because she butts herself into their business. I know she does it for the like she she does she isn't born with that like you know how guys are we just kind of like want reckless adventures. Hermione just <laughs> wants the well-being of her friends. So like while it's exciting to Ron and Harry to be able to sneak out even when there's a supposed murderer on the loose, Hermione's like, "No, I'm just going to go ahead and make executive decisions and tell on you because what did she do? Uh, she, <laughs> she, she told she, like I mean yeah. I'm got, gonna bring it up now because it hasn't come up yet. But at Christmas time they get something and she decides to be some type of way about it, and <laughs> she threatens to tell on Harry later on, even later on in the book. Uh, you know again, so I just uh, Hermione has her moments, and then she has her moments where I would wish she would be elsewhere. <laughs> I love I love Hermione. <laughs> That's my girl, man. She had good intentions. She does. Her intentions are there. Heart's in the right place. But in practice, like, let's get it together. Uh, (laughs) In page 200, I found it funny that uh, Ron has, like, a little bit of a crush on Madame Rosemerda. Like the bartender <laughs> at the three broomsticks, he's like, she said, "Oh, I'll get our, I'll get our uh, butter beers," and he had like got blushed in the face because he was going to talk to her. So he had a <laughs> little tiny great. like kid's crush. I thought that was cute. Um, then page two hundred four, that's where we learn not only because remember like we talked about last week with uh, the whole dialogue that Arthur and Molly Weasley had about um, Sirius Black. Now we've got Cornelius Fudge. Minerva McGonagall, uh, Professor Flitwick, and Madame Rosemerda and Hagrid there. And now they're discussing it at even more of a length. And this is where we really find out why people are telling Harry, hey, don't go looking for Sirius Black or Malfoy trying to egg him on. Like, oh, if it was me, I would have been looking for him, right? <laughs> right. So that's uh, this is the kind of the spot. I don't know if I should read it. You know what? I will because I'll go fast. Yeah, you're fine. She goes, we'll start right here. It goes, uh... Do you know I still have trouble believing it, said Madame Rosemary thoughtfully. Of all the people to go over to the dark side, Sirius Black was the last out of thought. I mean, I remember him when he was a boy at Hogwarts. If you'd told me then what he was going to become, I'd have said you had too much mead. And Fudge replies, you don't know the half of it, Rosemary. The worst he did isn't widely known. The worst, Madame Rosemary replied, her voice alive with curiosity. Worse than murdering all those poor people, you mean? I certainly do, said Fudge. And she replies, I can't believe that. What could possibly be worse? She, uh, Fudge goes, no, Professor McGonagall goes, well, you say you remember him at Hogwarts for Rosemerita, murmured Professor McGonagall. Do you remember who his best friend was? Naturally, said Madame Rosemerita with a small laugh. Never saw one without the other, did you? The number of times I had them in here, ooh, they used to make me laugh. <laughs> Quite the double act, Sirius Black and James Potter. (laughs) 
And Harry at that time dropped this tanker with a loud clunk. Because keep in mind, like when they all came in, Harry's not supposed to be in Hogsmeade, so like they pushed the tree in front of him. Mm-hmm. He's hiding underneath the thing and listening to what's going on. Yeah. And this is all huge. This is all big news because now he knows that Sirius Black and James Potter were best friends. But it get there's more to it. Then Professor McGonagall continues precisely. Black and Potter, the ringleaders of their little gang, both very bright, of course, exceptionally bright, in fact. But I don't think we've ever had such a pair of troublemakers. Then Hagrid sticks up for my boys and says, <laughs> I don't know if Fred and George Weasley could give them a run for their money. That yeah, was awesome. boy. Yeah, those are your boys, man. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> Professor Flitwick chimes in and he says, You would have thought that Black and Potter were brothers. They were inseparable. <laughs> and Fudge says, Of course they were. Potter trusted Black beyond all of his other friends. Nothing changed when they left school. Black was the best man when James married Lily. Then they named him Godfather to Harry. Harry has no idea, of course. You can imagine how the idea would torment him. And Madame Rosemita says, because Black turned out to be in league with you-know-who. And Fudge says, worse than that, my dear. Not too many people are aware that the Potters knew that you-know-who was after them. Dumbledore was, of course, working tirelessly against you-know-who, and he had a number of useful spies. And one of them tipped him off, and he alerted James and Lily at once. He advised them to go into hiding. Well, of course, you-know-who wasn't an easy person to hide from. So Dumbledore told them that their best chance was the Fidelius charm. And mm-hmm. Matter was the matter asked, like, how does that work? And Professor Flitwick cleared his throat and says, It's an immensely complex spell, involving the magical concealment of a secret inside a single living soul. The information is hidden inside the chosen person, or secret keeper, and is henceforth impossible to find, unless, of course, the secret keeper chooses to divulge it. As long as the secret keeper refused to speak, you know who could search the village where James and Lily were staying for years. It would never find them, not even if he had his nose pressed against their sitting room window. And Rose Merta says, so Black was the Potter's secret keeper? McGonagall says, naturally. James Potter told Dumbledore that Black would die rather than tell them where they were, that Black was planning to go into hiding himself. And yet, Dumbledore remained worried. I remember him offering to be the Potter's secret keeper himself. And Madame Rosetta says, he suspected Black? And McGonagall replies, well, he was sure that somebody close to the Potters had been keeping you-know-who informed of their movements. Indeed, he had expected for some time that someone on our side had turned traitor and was passing a lot of information to you-know-who. But James Potter insisted on using Black. And Cornelius Fudge says, yes, he did. Then barely a week after the Fidelius charm had been performed, Black betrayed them. He did indeed. Black was tired of his double agent role. He was ready to declare his support openly for you-know-who. And he seemed to have planned this for the moment of the Potter's death. But as we all know, you-know-who met his downfall in Little Harry Potter. And with his powers gone and horribly weakened, he fled. And this left black in a very nasty position indeed his master had fallen at the very moment when he had shown his true colors as a traitor and he had no choice but to run from it uh so that's a little bit about how that turned out for serious black in terms of what we know here right now so as of here right now everyone is under the assumption that this story is rock solid the information they're given is you know there's no denying black was the traitor who was responsible for james and lily's death and so now we know exactly why everyone's been telling Harry not to go after him. You know, and even Hagrid, he goes on to say, like, I borrowed his motorcycle. You remember? Yeah. Like, that's a, yeah, that's a yeah. full circle moment, like, from book one. 
that uh, you know he took it from young Sirius Black was the words in Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah. And now you know we think we know why he was trying to dump the motorcycle because he would need to get out of downs. But uh, right. you know, not to get anything too far away from that. But moving on from that, um, Harry finds it because like in page two hundred and twelve. Harry actually finds a picture of Sirius Black in the photo album of his parents that Hagrid gave him. And that's the first time that he realized, you know, the gravity of the situation. He started wondering, hey, was he trying to plan their murder even there at their wedding? Was he already supporting, you know, who? Like, all these, like, tormented thoughts are just popping into his head, and you kind of feel bad for him. Um, but then uh, in page 218, to move on from that, we get a notice for Buckbeak's hearing. Uh, and they all kind of agreed to pitch in and help, but we kind of see how that works out later on. I don't give anything away there, but really only one of the three does any sort of work for him at this point in time. Um, so moving on from that, this is something I do think is super important because we get to hear about from Hagrid's own words. And I think we all pretty, pretty well understanding that Hagrid's a big, brave guy. But the way he talks about his time in Azkaban is pretty is pretty eerie. So Hermione asks, like, you know, is it awful in there, Hagrid? He says, you have no idea. I've never been anywhere like it. I thought I was going mad. I kept going over horrible stuff in my mind. The day I got expelled from Hogwarts, the day my dad died, the day I had to let Norbert go. And his eyes filled with tears. And Norbert was a baby dragon Hagrid had once won in a game of cards. And he says, you really can't remember who you are after a while. And you can't see the point of living at all. I used to hope I'd just die in my sleep. And when they let me out, it was like being born again. Everything came flooding back and it was the best feeling in the world. So you guys can kind of see Azkaban, not a fun place that you'd want to be if you had, uh, if you had the choice. <laughs> um, now, page 223... This kind of catches up from what I was talking about earlier when Hermione sticks her nose in businesses that uh, don't necessarily <laughs> concern her. Uh, page 223, Harry receives a firebolt for Christmas with no note and no letter. So can we talk about Harry's luck? Number one, in, in book number one, he was given a Nimbus 2000, which at the time was the best broom ever <laughs> made. And then that one gets destroyed by the Whomping Willow, and now he gets a firebolt, which is meant like from all standards is the greatest broomstick in the world so much that even professional uh quidditch players are ordering them and they're the favorites to win the quidditch world cup so like uh, like how is he getting all these great stuff like, yeah bad things happen to him but i'll tell you what he has a good stroke of luck too so can we just uh, talk about how he gets dropped off every gift in the world freaking anonymously last time oh, absolutely yep. uh, nimbus 2000 right anonymously dropped off even though we really know who gave it to him uh the invisibility cloak <laughs> anonymously dropped off even though we find out who gave it to him firebolt dropped off we'll find out later like it's like he has the luck of literally i want to take if this 13 year old kid was next to me first thing i would say is we're going to the gas station to get a scratch off and then we're gonna go put lottery lottery numbers down because you're the luckiest kid in the world. Like, yeah, not so lucky with living situations, abuse, and stuff. <laughs> but at the same time, bro, come on, man. Like, I feel so bad for Ronald Weasley 
grows up poor. Best thing he ever has is Arthur Weasley wins this grand prize, gets to go on, like, one trip to Egypt, and it's all blown. Meanwhile, every freaking Christmas, Harry gets, like, literally this would be the PlayStation 5 when everyone in the world is sold out, and it just magically appears. It just magically appears, and the poor kid that should have it doesn't get it. No, it goes to the rich-ass kid that has a whole vault full of gold sitting there that gets it every time and it's just anonymously dropped off. Yeah, if I was Ron, I'd be feeling some type of way. Like, I'd have to fight that. I'd be like, yeah, like, okay. Like, it would... It wouldn't bother me to the point because I know it wasn't mine. I'd be like, okay, like, alright, that's good for you. You know, what goes around comes around. Hopefully my day will come. But I'd be like, bro... Come on, man. Like, this is literally the third Christmas in a row. You can dropped off some shit and you have no idea who gave it to you. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> and like, like you said, like, it happens. But here's the thing. is like, I think he pays for it dearly, though. Like, he's got luck on both sides of, like, the extreme spectrum. He's got, like, extremely great luck when it comes to, like, receiving cool and unusual items that are useful. And he has the worst luck ever of almost dying every year because people are trying to kill him. Oh, like yeah. he gets like he's kind of on a balancing scale like this man like literally it's a it's I would, an if interesting I were thing. Ron though, I'd be sitting here thinking, man, I'd be like, is this is this kid like buying himself super nice gifts, not wrapping them up from anyone and acting like they're coming from other people? Because think about it, you know he doesn't have no parents that's sending him gifts. We know it's not Uncle Ver- Vernon and Aunt Petunia that are sending him something this nice. Uh, I mean, well, remember we what Ron thought? Like, Ron had an, had an opinion and thought it was Dumbledore that sent him the Firebolt. That was actually yeah. in the, the same page. He thought so. Like, he's thinking it's Dumbledore. Like, he's getting special treatment from the uh, from the teachers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I agree with Ron on this because I'd be like, "Come on, dude! Like, really? Like again? Like you're getting you're stand like you're showing me up again this Christmas, third Christmas in a row." Again, <laughs> showed up, man. But let's let's keep it into context because Harry had ten birthdays of not getting anything and ten Christmases of not getting anything. So this yeah, is like stuff is coming back around. Remember, like, like you know, growing up with the Dursleys, they didn't give him anything. They gave him old socks, man. Like you know what I mean? Old socks. So, yeah. Yeah. No, hundred percent. This is this is coming <laughs> up with uh, you know he he paid his dues to get these great gifts. You know, Ron's always had a loving family that at least. You know, got him some gifts for special occasions. Harry's had nothing, so three <laughs> years of getting some cool gifts. I think we can give him a pass, man. I can get on board with it. Yeah, I, I agree. With that. Yeah, I got, I gotta agree with that. <laughs> but speaking about the other friend, Hermione, she tattletales on Harry about his fireball <laughs> on Christmas. She couldn't even let him have Christmas at the dinner that they all went down to, and Dumbledore put the table together, and like there was like twelve of them, and Trelawney freaked out because like 13 made unlucky number like they get up to leave and Hermione they're like oh you coming Hermione she's like I'm gonna have a word with Professor McGonagall then Professor McGonagall shows up in the common room she's like let me see that firebolt I'm taking it and like they're like what the fuck Hermione like what the heck is your problem here's my opinion on that though right here's what I think probably happened she probably went there to actually discuss her schedule and everyone knows like Hermione's bitten off more than she can chew this semester she just has uh, 
Here's the thing, right? Okay, she so... did not go to discuss her schedule at all. Not on Christmas. She went there to tell on him <laughs> for the fireball. She, she saw. If you go back to year one, Harry's like about to be thrown off his broom that they thought was bewitched, and who saved him? Uh, Hermione on accident because she put the spell on the wrong Professor person. Professor Snape. <laughs> but yeah, but hey, hey, if it wasn't for that, yeah, her Harry would have been thrown off again. He's over here being thrown off rooms. And at the same time, here's the thing, right? So, some people are different. Some people handle emotionally, emotion different. Um, not that, you know, no. I think, I just think ladies sometimes, not for this to come across the wrong way, but, you know, especially, like, handling, like, emotions and stuff. Like, sometimes, like, men, you know, we tend just to keep it in and not say anything. Well, I felt like Hermione in this situation, for especially what happens later when she kind of breaks down, I just think she's... So I guess not just women. I, You know, people all over in general, I guess, depending on who you are, handle emotions different ways. So correct myself there. However, I think she just kind of broke down in this situation. I mean, she's bitten off more than she can chew. She wants to see her friend saved. You got a slasher killer on the loose that they've seen is cutting up paintings like a psychopath. Ah! Over here cutting through things. She's like, I gotta save my friend. But at the same time, I'm stressed as hell. And you got Harry getting all these nice ass gifts. F that. I'm gonna tell right now. I think that's what happened. I take your side. I can see. I can see it. I wouldn't do it, but I mean, you know, people respond differently to situations. <laughs> so she she tells on him. They take the firebolt from him. So he had a great like couple hours of yay! I got an awesome broomstick to replace my old one. And then his emotion goes drop down. Like oh, they're gonna strip it down and like check it for hexes. I don't know when I'm gonna get it back. It was almost like a race against time before their next match against Ravenclaw before if he was going to have to order another broomstick. And, uh, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself there. But, man, imagine the emotions of, like, oh, my gosh, I got a PS5. And then, like, I'll, you try to plug it in and, like, the power cord's not there. <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> that would like, be awful. Like, yeah, it sucks, man. Like, that's got to suck for him. But <clears throat> uh, if we go on to page 235, I think it's pretty cool that Hagrid starts to gain his um, – his mojo back a little bit because they were talking about how after the the hippogriffs they went to flobber worms and how it was super boring but for this particular uh class it was the uh the flame loving lizards the salamanders that love fire and like they were showing like burning on white hot logs and running up and down them and i thought that was pretty cool it was a nice little uh little confidence boost for hagrid uh page 237 and this is, we talked about the first part of this last week about when we talk about our artist name of Ridiculous Patronus. We are introduced to the second part of our name. <laughs> the Patronus Charm is officially introduced on page 237. Uh, the Yes, yeah, so that's when Lupin is explaining to him, helping him fight the Bogart. He, you almost got me saying Bogart. The Bogart. <laughs> the Bogart uh, yeah. he, tells, he explains what the Patronus Charm is. And how it's like a like a barrier. It's anti-dementor. It's a shield between you and the dementor. So we learn about what the Patronus charm is on page two thirty-seven for the first time, and this is something that will continue through the entire series of Harry Potter. Um, page two thirty-nine, Harry attempts Patronus on the Bogart like many times. He he 
finally got something the third time to kind of wisp out of it enough to where he didn't pass out, which is kind of really cool. Like that's awesome. Uh, in between that time though, there's one thing that happens. I kind of want to save it for shadowed events, but it also happens to be an impact moment is Harry actually hears his dad's voice for the first time. Here's his dad's voice. And he says, Lily, take Harry and go. It's him. Go, run. I'll hold him off. And then uh, the sounds of someone stumbling from a room and a door bursting open and a cackle of high-pitched laughter. And so not only was that pretty cool, but when he says, I heard my dad's voice that time, Lupin says, you heard James in a strange voice, meaning like him and his dad were friends. And that's what Harry asked. Like, you knew my dad. And he's like, and as a matter of fact, I did. We were friends at school. So we don't know how good of friends until a little bit later on, but still something worth noting. Uh, Lupin also admits to knowing Sirius Black as well, but that conversation got a little dark. So I'll just leave that there. Uh, Page 245, Harry's no longer passing out and he can produce indistinct Patronuses, which, you know, even Lupin says for someone his age, that's a really, really big uh, step in the right direction. Page 247, this is where we learn about the Dementors kiss. Uh, what they do is they suck out your soul. So mm-hmm. you can, they, they literally oh, say you'll have no sense of self anymore, no memory, no anything. No chance at all to recover. You'll just exist as an empty shell, and your soul is gone forever lost. Like, that's really freaking creepy. Uh, the Dementors, that's what their big weapon is, is the Dementors kiss. So that was really important. And then we learn that that's actually the fate that awaits Sirius Black. So they got the the thumbs up from the Ministry that if they catch Black, that there's no questions asked. He's getting the Dementor's kiss. Yeah. So mm-hmm. now page two forty eight. I know I jumped. It's going quicker, but you know Harry gets his fireball back just in time for the match against Raven. <laughs> yeah. So Harry now has the fireball back. He knows he's going to be able to use it against Ravenclaw. They're excited. And on page 254, we get introduced... Uh, well, actually, we, didn't go in, we don't get introduced yet. We hear about her. We hear about Cho Chang for the first time on page 254. And Cho Chang is the person I believe Harry should have ended up with. And I'll I'll say that till my grave. Uh, so that's where you. we get introduced. I gotta to- agree with you. And uh, two books from now... There's going to be a lot of evidence you should have been with Cho Chang. And, you know, that's my favorite book. So we got a long time yeah. until then. We got a couple months we do. or so. <laughs> you must. I'm just... But uh, I... That's the one thing, man. If we talk about stuff that... If we talk about things that we don't like, the only things I don't like are the love interests and who ends up with who. Like, if you ask me... I think that Hermione should have ended up with Draco Malfoy. Yeah, I, really I have do. to agree with you. I think, 100%. That, I think that would have been awesome. Yeah, that I have would to agree. Super cool. Like in her, like Harry with Cho. Like yeah, we can get into that different point in time if we want to. But like, if there's any issue that I really have with Harry Potter, it's the matchmaking and who ended up with who. And I don't want to take away from our future episodes Thunder by you know revealing what actually happens. But those are some of my my uh, feelings I have towards <laughs> towards. Oh it. yeah. Side note on that real quick, um, and I'll let you continue, just a quick note. So actually on set, you know, like Malfoy and, uh, I say Malfoy and Hermione, uh, Emma Watson and whoever the other guy was. I always Tom think. Felton. Tom what? What's his name? Fe- 
Felton. Tom Felton. Tom Felton. I wanted to be like, Tom Riddle. Who's <laughs> that guy? Tom Felton. Yeah, they were apparently, like, best friends on set. We're seeing all the time, like, hanging out outside of um, the set. And we're like, the people thought, like, they were almost dating at one point. Um, so that's really funny you said that, just, like, how that works. But on top of that, I do agree, like... It's hard to deny that this wasn't the plan because of, you know, stuff in the beginning. However, I do say it's it's very funny because I feel like Harry Potter is the one where we've agreed on everything. Um, I have to agree with you. I really think uh, Hermione should have ended up with Malfoy. It would show a big character like progression for him, and like well, I can talk more about that. Nothing helps when something <laughs> happens with him that I think is really frustrating. But um, uh, I'll continue on for now because I always <laughs> I always do this to myself. I always want to get involved in conversations that will come up later on, <laughs> like way too early. I, I'm impatient. I'm like I want to I want to <laughs> just run through it, right? Yeah, but I gotta yeah, be man, good. I gotta be good. We gotta give them what they want at the at the right time we can't be jumping that's on me so i'm gonna i'm gonna reel us back in and i'm gonna take us to page 257 a funny part that i liked is percy bet 10 galleons on gryffindor winning the match against ravenclaw when he didn't even have 10 galleons to his name so he's like you better win harry because i don't have 10 (laughs) galleons to to give my girlfriends um Going on to page 259, I found it hilarious. Lee Jordan's commentating like he was basically making an ad for the Firebolt. He's talking about all the great like features of the, of the Firebolt. And even at one point, <laughs> McGonagall's like, uh, are you getting paid to advertise the Firebolt or are you going to go ahead and talk about the match that was playing right now? <laughs> so, I thought that was funny. Then Oliver Wood, because Cho Chang, like, she, like Harry even says, like, you know, he, he noticed that she was noticeably pretty, mm-hmm. right? And I think that put that in my Four Shadows event, not my favorite moments, but, like, I just want to bring that up because he's being too polite. She's cutting him off, cutting his way, and he's just trying to, like, kind of be very, you know, uh, submissive. Like, he doesn't want to, like, you know, hurt her. And Oliver Wood yells, knock her off her broom if you have to. Oliver Wood doesn't care, man. He's <laughs> like, dude, this, this girl could fall from the sky, and I don't care as long as we win this Quidditch match, Harry. So. <laughs> dude, Oliver Wood is literally that captain in high school, like, this is my last year. I don't care if you got to put your hand on the other person's pad when you're going out for a pass and they're trying to defend you. You better catch that damn ball. You better do whatever you got to do to make sure I take home my trophy at the end of the year, Harry. F you, Harry. F you. <laughs> F you and your crushes. I mean, he even said to me, he was like, Harry, this is no time to be a gentleman. Knock her off her broom if you have to. <laughs> So we know what we know the priorities that Oliver Wood has over being a decent human, um, but uh, uh, that's what like uh, three Dementors come into the uh, the the field, and Harry pulls his wand out, casts like a really good Patronus charm, and it barrels down there. And he said he didn't even feel anything like he was passing out, and mm-hmm. we'll find out why that is in a second. But Harry then proceeds not only to speed towards the snitch that him and Cho are racing for. He casts a very difficult spell in the air flying and catches a snitch with the wand still in his hand, too, all at the same time. So, congratulations, Harry. That was badass. <laughs> so, I just put that out there. Uh, and they beat they beat uh, Ravenclaw, which is huge because now they're still alive 
in the Quidditch Cup. And not only that, they now it's more simple. All they need to do is beat Slytherin by more than 200 points, and they win. Mm-hmm. So now that that's all settled, because I know last week I gave like the weird scenarios on how they were still alive after losing to Cedric Diggory's Hufflepuff, <laughs> right? So now we know to win the Quidditch Cup, they've got to beat Slytherin by 200 points. Yep. Um, page 264, our boys Fred and George getting the party favors. Even Angelina Johnson's like, how do you do that? And Fred says, with a little help from Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs, he says to Harry <laughs> whispering. So... We get them. Uh, that's awesome. Imagine being those cool guys that just can get anything that you want. That's Fred and George, man. You want to mm-hmm. celebrate? These are your party guys. If you need anything at all, you want food, you want snacks, you want stuff snuck in and out of places, you want jokes, <laughs> you want pranks. Our boys, Fred and George, got your back, man. I love my guys. Hello, Georgie. <laughs> yeah. uh, then uh, this, now we go into page 266. And this is when some stuff gets really real because... Uh, Sirius Black successfully breaks into Harry's dorm, and he actually slashes Ron's curtain with a knife and stands over him. Mm-hmm. You know, and that kind of begs the the question: like, yo, like this guy killed thirteen people. Why is he? Why did he see that it wasn't Harry and then just run? Like, why wouldn't he? You know, kill Ron, then go kill Harry, and then get the heck out of there. So now you start thinking: like, hey, is there more to this than what's been said so far? And uh, even page 268, Sir Cadigan, he confirms that he's the one that let Sirius Black in <laughs> because he read the list of the week's passwords that Neville had lost, which I'll put that in my in my foreshadowed events, you know, of Neville losing that list. That's that's in there. But then page 269, they confirm that Sirius Black escaped again, and Flitwick, Professor Flitwick starts teaching the doors to recognize pictures of Sirius Black. Sir Cadigan's fired, and the fat lady is back. But she wants trolls guarding her so she feels safe. So mm-hmm. I thought that was hilarious. Yes. Now, page 271, Neville receives a howler from his grandmother for uh, leaving the passwords out and about. Uh, <laughs> he ran for it. He ran from the hall. Like, he sprinted away. He did not want any part of that. <laughs> page 273, Harry and Ron forgot to help Hagrid with Buckbeak's case, and but Hermione somehow helped. This is how good of a friend Hermione is. She has taken, she's taken more classes than anybody, stressed to the bone, and still had time to help Hagrid. I gained a lot of respect for Hermione there and yeah. gave him a very strong case. But Hagrid, you know, he's not good at public speaking, so I'm not going <laughs> to ruin it. Hagrid's over here uh, drinking the night before, getting trashed, wakes up the next morning, bumbling over the words. And actually, this is actually one of my favorite parts of Hagrid in the entire series is he actually sets Harry and Ron straight about their friendship with Hermione. He says, mm-hmm. I've got something to discuss with you two. And Harry says, what? He says, Hermione. And Ron says, what about her? It's like, she's in a right state, that's what. And she's been coming down to visit me a lot since Christmas. She's been feeling lonely because first you guys weren't talking to her because of the firebolt. And now you're not talking to her because her cat. And then Ron interrupts him, ate scabbers. <laughs> and then Hagrid continues because her cat acted like all cats do. <laughs> she's cried a fair few times you know going through a rough time at the moment bitten off more than she can chew if you ask me all the work she's trying to do and still found time to help me with Buckbeak's case she found some really good stuff for me and I reckon he'll stand a good chance he says Hagrid I, we should have helped as well we're sorry and Hagrid says I'm not blaming you God knows you had enough to be getting on with practicing Quidditch every hour of every day and night but I gotta tell you I thought you two would value your friendship more than broomsticks or rats that's all that's the realest stuff Hagrid's ever spoke to it's him, real. baby. 
100%. That was awesome. Here's I love the that thing. So much. They're just like assuming Crookshanks ate scabbies. Right, exactly. Good point. And I, I put that more towards my foreshadow events, but exactly. Like, they think, because, like, that foreshadow events, he, he actually shows something to her and, mm-hmm. like, to kind of, like, evidence, but I won't talk about that just yet. Yeah. Um, 275. Hermione threatens to tell McGonagall about the Marauders map if Harry attempts to sneak into Hogsmeade this time. And now, to your point, Sirius Black has broken into the castle twice now. <laughs> He's gotten into the <laughs> dormitory in the room with Harry. So, in Hermione's defense, like, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe we, sh- you, like, you have a right to tell McGonagall about the map at that point in time, I guess. <laughs> but uh, Harry still does the dirty. He uh, he pretends like he's going back to the common room, and uh, he puts on the invisibility cloak and goes anyways. And Ron didn't go with Hermione, so it was just Harry and Ron in Hogsmeade, and Ron was underneath the invisibility cloak. And one of my favorite moments in the whole book happens here when. Uh, they like Ron starts walking up to the Shrieking Shack with Harry and Malfoy and them come down and Malfoy starts talking that nonsense that he always talks about Ron's family being poor and all that and so uh, Harry says leave it to me Ronnie boy and then he <laughs> throws mud in Malfoy's face hits Crab and Goyle with the mud too then throws a stick at Crab and trips him and then when he tripped him it causes Harry to his head to come out of the invisibility cloak and now Harry has an invisible head just bouncing in Hogsmeade, and Malfoy sees it and runs. And now we know, shoot, like he could. This is this is not what you want to happen because he's going to get there first because he can go straight to the castle. Harry's got to go down to the secret passage and up. Mm-hmm. So now it's a race against the clock. And page two, actually two hundred eighty-two through two eighty-four. I know Snape's your guy, so I'll let you take those ones. But I'll just <laughs> say the, the overall of what happens is Snape interrogates Harry about the Hogsmeade incident. And, you know, Harry's trying not to give up any of the details. He's like, nah, man, I, I didn't do anything. These these Zonko products, Ron gave them for me. And Snape's like, oh, you've been carrying those around? Like, How very charming, Harry Potter. So basically he's trying to get him caught up saying, you know, to admit that he wasn't Hogsmeade because he could probably get expelled. And <laughs> Snape hates him. And then, her, like, then Harry kind of gets on Snape's bad side and says, like, you know, I know my father saved your life. And Snape's like, whoa, let me not get you any... Uh, false uh, uh, images about your dad harry what he did to save my life just saved his own skin that was a practical joke they were gonna play and so uh <laughs> he would have been expelled so he really saved himself just as much as me don't want you thinking it was an act of heroism he was actually a big pile of poopy <laughs> exactly a piece of shit wanted to let you know your daddy your daddy's <laughs> trash <laughs> Your daddy yep. was actually a candy ass and couldn't jump off the cliff when it was time. <laughs> oh, excuse my language, but that's basically what he told him. Your dad was a piece of shit. <laughs> and they keep going on further from that, too, because this kind of going in the same thing of this sequence of events. Snape, like, grabs, like, flu powder, throws it into the fireplace, <laughs> makes Lupin come down, take a look at the Marauder's map. This is a potential plot hole, so I'm not going to talk about what they say, what, like, happens when Snape tries to get into the Marauder's map just yet. But, like, like Lupin looks at it, and it's funny because we realize why it's funny that Lupin's looking at this map again after a long time. <laughs> but uh, he actually makes Ron and, and uh, Harry come with him about a vampire essay, brings them in, he's like, 
yo guys, I ain't coming for you again. That's really reckless of you. I'm keeping this map. I know what it is. But I also know that the makers of this map would have found it funny if you had found your way out of the thing. And so he leaves it there for then. Uh, but that comes up later on too. Dude, Lupin's like uh, the best guy. Like I don't. Oh, know. he's the coolest. I don't Absolutely. know any other. He get he just gets the short end of the stick. Like he sticks up for them, in and out. Like I don't know any other professor. You know, Snape was like, "What the hell?" Oh, he was so mad. <laughs> Harry got out of any trouble there too. And there's there's a lot of issues with that. There's no way that they would have just let it go and Lupin carry him away and not follow up with it. But regardless. Uh, going on to page 290, we find out that Buckbeak lost the case and he's going to be executed. Uh, Ron tells Hermione that he's going to help with the med- with the appeal, and Hermione hugs him and breaks down crying, and everyone's all friends again. And now, this is the moment I came around, and this is the moment Hermione became one of my favorites, like, you know, after all this time. I've had my issues with her, especially growing up as a kid. As growing up as a kid and being a boy and going on reckless adventures, I was always annoyed that Hermione was trying to, like, like stop the fun basically like yo stay out of everyone's business like leave us alone (laughs) but this is the moment i'm like okay hermione you're a real one malfoy makes fun of hagrid ron and harry run to jump at malfoy but hermione gets there first and smacks malfoy across the face then pulls her wand on him and you know she knows more magic than any of these people in her ear because she's the best witch in her ear and like everyone knows like oh shoot bro like she could mess you up Malfoy you better back up and he he does he he turns his little tail around and he wa- and he runs away with Crab and Goyle cuz they were confused like what do we do we can't like beat up a girl like with our muscles and stuff so like <laughs> like that was one of my favorite moments when Hermione smacked him to next Tuesday that was awesome uh then in page uh, 289 299 can 298 through 299 Hermione given Trelawney attitude and finally quitting divination and storming out of the classroom I'm like dang she's on a roll man she <laughs> says screw you teacher I don't want none of your stuff either I don't care that I, like, you don't think I got the thing I think you're full of poop so we she goes from smacking no Malfoy to education. but she like goes from smacking Malfoy to quitting a class two of the most un Hermione thing like it's like all in one sequence and it's my favorite thing for her and, um, yeah, that's what I said before, page 300, that's where you figure out that, that as far as point standings, Gryffindor needs to be win by two, more than 200 to win the Quidditch Cup. And then to your point, you're, when you said this earlier when we first started about a dirty Quidditch match, this is the dirtiest Quidditch match of all time. I know you love it, so I'm going to let you get in the details of it. All I'm going to say is I just want to emphasize it was bad. Like, from the start of the whistle to the end, all the tricks that the Slytherins were playing was really messed up but at the end of the day you can't stop the good guys from winning and our boy harry catches a snitch and gryffindor wins the quidditch cup and that's the last part i have for my favorite moments from chapter 10 to 15 and i'll let you my guy take it from here can't stop the feeling oh yeah no man yeah those are awesome points um that uh yeah i mean you hit most of them right on the head um, ours are a little different at some spots, but yeah, man, that, that's good stuff. Um, first thing I have here, uh, is so kind of just like you were saying, you know, Harry, he's still worrying about the grin. Um, and, uh, you know, he's kind of, as far as like these Quidditch matches too, that really stuck out to me just kind of throwing this out there, not as far as like canon timeline, but 
you know, he gets so into these Quidditch matches, especially the dirty one we'll talk about. Like, he gets to the point, like, he's dreaming about these things. It really reminded me of, like, if you played a sport in high school and, like, you're so focused on, like, winning this game, like, you're dreaming about it. Or, like, I know our podcast, we put so much work into this thing. There's nights, like, we go to sleep and, like, we're dreaming about it the next day because it's still so, like, in our mind, right? Um, uh, second thing I had, though, was so um, Lupin you know, kind of that foreshadowing moment, like, when he returned, like you said, he shows up really feeling ill, but even worse is, like, his robes are, they were tattered and stuff before, but now they're just, like, falling off him, almost like someone that just lost, like, a crap load of weight because of, like, cancer or something. Um, Lupin then tells Harry that uh, the Whomping Willow, because he hears about his uh, broomstick that was shattered, uh, that it actually um, was planted the same year he arrived at Hogwarts. And I thought this was really cool. He said that uh, Davy Gungeon nearly got his uh, eye lost uh, because they were playing a game like to see who could like try to touch the trunk and because he almost had gone near it. I tried to look that up, but I didn't see anything else on that besides that. But... Um, yeah, and then uh, that's what you were talking about. You know, Lupin tells him about the Dementors. That was really cool. Um, and then one big thing I always stick out in my mind is, you know, Harry told Lupin when the Dementors get near him that he can hear Voldemort, like, murdering his mom. So that kind of, like, confirms what I was saying last episode of, like, hearing his mom screaming because I was like, I wonder if that was like Hermione in the back of his head, but he was in such a trance it wouldn't work. But it was literally his mom because that's the way it's affecting him. He's almost remembering, uh, even though it's like almost too early to remember, but the nights like his parents were murdered. Um, and then uh, Lupin tells him he believes they came to the match uh, because like when they had swarmed that match, because they, they were so hungry and it was basically like a, a feast like, if you just released a bunch of tigers, <laughs> there's all these people there, and they're just ready to maul their ass. Maul your ass! <laughs> That's literally what it was. Um, so I thought that was cool. Uh, I did like what Lupin was talking about Azkaban, because it really described it. Um, when he was saying, you know, it's, it's a fortress on, like, a tiny island at sea, but they don't need walls or water to keep the prisoners in because they're trapped inside their own heads and capable of a single cheerful thought. Most of them go mad within weeks because the Dementors. Like, that's so creepy. It made me think of, like, Shutter Island. Like, they're there, but really on the inside, like how Leonardo DiCaprio goes insane. Like, pull yourself together, Teddy. <laughs> insane. But little, you know, we find out later, just like how you were talking about our uh, Cornelius Fudge, the, you know, number one guy over here. Was saying like serious, you know, he's <laughs> not exactly that way the way most people are. Um, but he was saying, you know, obviously Sirius Black like kind of found a way to fight them off. Um, but this when like Lupin agrees to help Harry, uh, so he agrees there. And then Ravenclaw, I wrote down, uh, did defeat Hufflepuff at the end of November, so it gave Gryffindor that chance to really jump up there in the Quidditch Cup, which is really cool. Um, 
It's kind of like, you know, if you're in football, you're playing for that wild card spot. It's kind of out of your hands at that point, but you're still crossing your fingers, man. We still got it. Ch- so you're telling me there's a chance, like in Dumb and Dumber. What was all that one in a million talk? <laughs> yeah. So there's still a chance there. Um, so I would, uh, you know, so then uh, Fred and George, this is when, you know, they give Harry the big marauders nap, like you were talking about. That really stuck out in my head. And your boys, Fred and George, you pretty much hit that right on the head there. I thought that was really cool. Um, I like how you mentioned uh, all the passageways, too. That was, that was really awesome. Um, big thing that stuck out to me here was uh, it's a uh, mysterious Mooney, Ormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs, uh, purveyors of AIDS of magical mischief makers, are proud to present the Marauders Map. So those are big, important people. And... Um, you know, some of them even come up later on. So that's definitely a, definitely big names to put in your head there. Uh, but I thought it was cool how, you know, it was showing, like, every little detail of the castle. Like, that's the thing. It's almost one of those things, like, I feel like it's too much power for one person. Like, no telling what I would do if I had that thing. I'd be searching the castle for weeks. I'd be like... I wonder if there's gold in the back of this tunnel here that no one's found for a thousand years. About to be cashing that at Gringotts ASAP. <laughs> Straight up, man. Um, so uh, then I got, uh, let's see. So Ron have basically, Ron uh, and Harry learned how to, um, oh, here's one thing. Ron thought when Harry showed up to Hogsmeade that he had learned how to apparate. So I thought it was cool, like, maybe, like, what would have taken longer? Figuring out the passageways or trying to master the art of apparition? Like, that makes me wonder. Because if you apparate, you can basically do whatever you want. Like, they can't say anything to you at that point. Um, and then, uh, so, uh, notice... Uh, then I do want to say this about the film because I kind of did have an issue, I guess, with it. Like he just kind of, I don't know. It's kind of like he just like appears there in the film. I don't know if that, that's not really like a plot hole, but I'm going to go into that in just a minute where like Hermione and Ron just randomly find him there for some reason. Um, but uh, I did think this was cool. So, when they were at Hogsmeade, there was an order from the Ministry of Magic that Dementors are going to be roaming those streets at night, which was really cool. Um, just showing, you know, how bad it is that Black is on the loose. Like, this guy, they're thinking, like, this is as bad as it gets. Like, I don't know any other serial killer. It's almost like the lockdown we've been going down today, except for they're doing this with Dementors. Like, if we close down everything but, you know, gas stations and grocery stores at night and you go to all the cool places during the day, just like how we were having curfews this year, but then you go put Dementors in it instead of cops. Yeah, now you got a, got a problem. But um, it says, customers are reminded that until further notice, Dementors will be patrolling the streets of Hogsmeade every night after sundown. 
This measure has been put in place for the safety of Hogsmeade residents and will be lifted upon the recapture of Sirius Black. It is therefore uh, advised that you complete your shopping well before nightfall. Merry Christmas uh, by order of the Ministry of Magic. So I thought it was really cool. Um, then uh, let's see here. So. Uh, at this moment, uh, that's when you were talking about, you know, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are overhearing Cornelius Fudge, Hagrid, McGonagall. Um, what was her name? Uh, Rose Merta. Rose Merta. That's her and name. Profe- yeah. And Professor Flitwick. Don't forget about a oh, Professor Flit- Flitwick. Oh, Flitwick. He's a Ravenclaw. Can't be forgetting about him. Uh, you pretty much hit everything on the head there. Um, that's all you on that one. There's one scene I do want to tell, which is really cool. In the film, Harry, like, just shows up there by himself. That was the part I was trying to say. Like, I don't know why he just randomly shows up there by himself when his friends are over at, like, Zonks or whatever it's called. What's Zonkos. It? Zonkos, yeah. And he just randomly shows up there. Okay, but I guess if you wanted to stop for a beer when he's 13 by himself alright go for it but just a little bit of an issue there but I did like this scene um, that Cornelius Fudge describes to Hagrid because you know Hagrid is massive like he's a huge giant Um, and this was kind of the moment where I was like wow like this is how much of a badass Sirius Black is to these people when Hagrid thought he would like mess him up because Hagrid's like a massive dude I wouldn't mess with Hagrid man and Cornelius puts him in his place Cornelius Fudge does and he was like no like I don't think you understand like (laughs) you couldn't have taken him on no matter what you do um and that's when he said okay so this is when he says um uh so I want to read this part real quick because he says I should have known there was something fishy going on there. Uh, he loved that motorbike, what was given it to me for. Why wouldn't he need it more? The fact was, it was too easy to face. Dumbledore knew he'd been on the Potter Secret Keeper. Black knew he was going to have uh, had it for the rest of the night and knew it was a matter of hours before the ministry was after him. But what I'd given Harry to him, eh? So basically he's going on, but then, uh, like you said, you know, the bike, right? Um, he thought he was just, like, dumping it there. But, um, and this is when uh, Cornelius Fudge says, uh, he's describing the scene and how, like, insane it was that Hagrid couldn't have took him on. And Peter Pettigrew, this is a big one, like, died in that scene that happened. So Fudge is telling the group, and this is on page 207, but he says, uh, uh, he says, Pettigrew died a hero's death, I witnessed. Muggles, of course. We wiped their memories later, told us how Pettigrew cornered Black. They said he was sobbing. Lily and James Sirius, how could you? And then he went for his wand. Well, of course, Black was quicker. Blue Pettigrew to smithereens. <laughs> Holy shit. That's insane. And this is when Fudge describes the scene, and he was, like, telling Hagrid, like, you definitely wouldn't. He goes, I tell you, this is Hagrid talking. Uh, I'd get to, this is Hagrid's 
parameter that he needs to work on. This is why he didn't win that case. I tell you, <laughs> if if I'd got to black before little Pettigrew did, I would have messed around with. I wouldn't have messed around with Wands. I'd have ripped him apart limb from limb. Hagrid growled. And this is when Cornelius Fudge says, You don't know what you're talking about, Hagrid, said Fudge sharply. Nobody but trained hit wizards from Magical Law Enforcement Squad would have stood a chance against Black once he was cornered. It was a junior minister... I was a junior minister in the Department of Magical Catastrophes at that time, and I was one of the first on the scene after Black murdered all those people. I will never forget it. I still dream about it sometimes. Uh, I was in the middle of the street. It was uh, A crater was in the middle of the street, so deep that it had cracked the sewer below. Bodies everywhere, muggles screaming, and Black was standing there, laughing with what was left of Peter Pettigrew in front of him. A heap of blood-stained robes and a few, few fragments. That's insane. Like, that's nuts, man. I would not mess Could you imagine somebody just sitting there laughing while everyone comes to get him and you got someone's body just in pieces? So, granted, this is what we know now. But from what they think of this guy, this guy sounds like the sickest guy to ever walk the planet. Um, so Let's that really mind, stuck buddy. out in my mind there. Uh, so then we go into the firebolt, right? Which is what you were saying. So, um, you know, he received... Uh, first thing we get is we get... This is chapter 11, the firebolt. Um, a letter from Hagrid saying that you know, there's going to be a case about uh, Buckby. So, and they're going to try to, you know, try to work that out and see how that goes. Um, and there's a hippogriff here. Um, Hagrid, one thing that really stood out to me here was he was actually talking about his time in Azkaban, which is interesting because we never really get that first-person perspective very often. And I read that straight from the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So you already went over that. But yeah, that was um, definitely one that stood out to me. You know how I can forget things sometimes. There's so much stuff in here. Yeah, I got to give Jay Nelly props <laughs> on that one. Um, another one was, uh, so these were cases that Hermione pulled up to kind of save Buckbeat in this case. Like she was like in 1722, a case where a hippogriff was convicted. But then no matter what she does, she still can't catch a break because that case, the hippogriff was executed. So it didn't matter. Then in 1296, a monocore savaged someone and they let it off. But that was a monocore. Can't catch a break there. And then she's like, oh, here's something. There was a case in 1722, but the hippogriff was con convicted. Oh, uh, look. Ah, uh, that's disgusting. <laughs> like, I felt so bad for her. No matter what research she does... Like, this case just wasn't going anywhere. Um, of course, Harry gets the gift of the Firebolt for Christmas, which was really cool. Um, and then, you know, one thing that really stuck out here as well was, you know, they start having um, Crookshanks and Scabbers are going back and forth again. And the sneakoscope uh, begins to, like, whirl and whistle that falls out of Uncle Vernon's sock. So that's kind of a big moment there. Um, That's the third time 
when that certain that a certain being was in a certain area and that thing has gone off exactly so. yeah <laughs> so you can't put two and two together now um and i do want to say this when like harry was at hogsmeade in the film it was kind of ridiculous i i gotta say this like i didn't even want to say it because i didn't even care too much about it but like they randomly find him when he found out that information about like how they think Sirius betrayed his parents. And he was just out in the snow. Like out in the snow and Hermione randomly found him where he is like crying out in the snow like a little bitch for no reason. Excuse my language. And he says this like famous line which I have no idea why this is so famous. I guess it sounded cool when we were kids. But, like, everyone talks about it, and it wasn't even that, like, big of a deal. It was kind of ridiculous. But he goes, first of all, Daniel Radcliffe, like, there's a reason you don't ever see him in it. There's a reason. And he goes, he was my friend, and he betrayed him. And he my was... My parents' friend. <laughs> They're their friend, not my friend. Sirius was never Harry's friend. So... <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, he says that afterwards. He says, he says he was their friend, not he, you said he was my friend. He wasn't it wasn't Harry's friend. Oh, okay, friend. yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was their, their friend. friend. Their friend. Yeah, that would sound even dumber if it was he was my friend. Yeah, he so. was my friend! I wouldn't I wouldn't <laughs> doubt it with the way that guy is. So you're running off on emotional tangents. <laughs> you're crying with invisibility cloaks on. You're running off the hogs, me. He was their friend! And he betrayed them. And then he's like screaming. And I, I literally wrote this down. I said, screaming to no one. WTF. Screaming. <laughs> he was their friend. It's like everybody's just sitting there. Ron's not even around at this point. Just staring at him. And he goes, I hope he finds me. Because when he does, I'm going to be ready. And when he does, I'm going to kill him. Like, okay. You're 13. And if you heard what I just heard, dude, this guy's one of maniacal genius, and he just blew Peter Pettigrew to smithereens. And, and 12 think, muggles. Exactly. Like, please please explain. <laughs> please explain how you're going to do that. Like, just please explain. Um, it was just terrible acting by Daniel Radcliffe. But I guess as a kid, we thought that was iconic, I gotta say. Um... So then kind of at this moment here, um, this is when, really, I guess, uh, it's when, remember, there's so, like, so, like, there's not very many people that stayed for the holidays at all. So there's very little people there. And this really stuck out to me when I thought it was so cool. It was kind of like if you had that one-on-one -on -one moment with, like, your VIP boss and got to sit down at a table with all of them, like, that's kind of what this was, because they all, uh, like, you know, the group, the golden trio over here gets to sit down with Dumbledore, McGonagall, Snape, Flitwick, and then Trelawney, crazy Trelawney shows up out of nowhere. And um, that's when uh, I thought it was really funny, because Trelawney... Dumbledore was like, hey, pull up a chair. Like, you can come on in. And she's like, well, that's the number 13. If I had this chair. He's like, oh, okay. Like, in Dumbledore. <laughs> okay. Like, all right. 
Like, he's such a nice guy, like, he would never say anything. But I know they were all thinking, like, all right. Like, all right. <laughs> like, please, be my guest. Don't pull up the chair. <laughs> like, we're happy to let you not. Um, <clears throat> and then, of course, uh, you know, uh, Dumbledore does say to Trelawney that Lupin is elegant. So that's definitely a <clears throat> big moment there. Yes, for events later on, <clears throat> which we'll talk about later. But and then uh, a tree Lonnie over here with kind of the foreshadowing moment tells them that Lupin won't be with them very long. <laughs> foreshadowing at its finest. However, like you said, I have to agree that's that generic thing because everyone knows that position's cursed, anyways, right? So it's like I can't really tell if she's actually predicting the future. Are just saying things like, oh, man, tomorrow the sky is going to be blue. Like, <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Well, we, we do know because very, very <laughs> soon, well, I, we'll talk about it next week. We don't cover mm -hmm. it today. But uh, we hear what a real one sounds like. like yeah, so. exactly. Um, and then uh, Hermione, you know, there's a big foreshadowing moment there. She has to speak with Professor McGonagall. Um, and then uh, you mentioned this. Uh, well, Sir Cottigan. So I did, I thought this was pretty cool. So the new password is Scurry Cur um, for Sir Cottigan. So that was pretty cool. Which um, all those like Scurry Cur, Odd Bodkins, and those things, I looked those up. They actually are the Latin word for good fortune. So, which is ironic, really, because Harry's never gotten any of that. So <laughs> there you go. Um, and uh, then, let's see, so, yeah, Hermione, like you said, you know, she goes in rats <laughs> and uh, tells McGonagall about the firebolt that they think it was sent by Sirius Black, like you were saying. So then we're going to Chapter 12, the Patronus, which is really cool. That's our chapter here. Ridiculous Patronus? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so uh, that, uh, one thing here is, Ron noticed, you know, Lupin is still looking ill, so, um, and then Ron's still angry with Hermione, so they're kind of still going back and forth, um, and then Lupin tells Harry, the spell I'm going to try to teach you is highly advanced magic, Harry, well beyond ordinary wizarding level, it is called the Patronus Charm, so the Patronus Charm, which I, I think it's always very funny, like a boy of 13, how does he just magically wind up being able to do these things after, like, the third time's a charm. Like, it's taking wizards, just throwing that out there. Like, it probably took Dumbledore ten years to master this charm, and here he just randomly <laughs> comes across a Bogart after three times and is able to get something going. Just kind of throwing that out there. But, you know, hey, we wouldn't have a story without it, right? Um, <clears throat> and then, so, kind of from this point... Uh, I do want to say this. In the movie, it was kind of cool. This is like the one cool line I've ever heard Daniel Radcliffe say because it, it does sound cool when he says it because he mostly screams and cries all the time. But he was like, Expectro Patronum! <laughs> and it was like that drawn out. So if he could just, I would say, if he could just be cast in commercials for like little kids doing magic tricks and magic shops, he would be perfect, which I think is why he got cast in Now You See Me Too and never got cast in anything else. 
But that part was awesome. <laughs> yeah! Spectro! Patronum! <laughs> yeah! Great. Good stuff. Let's leave the rest of the acting to Emma Watson. Anyways, <laughs> so, next thing here I do have is I thought this was cool. Slytherin beat Ravenclaw. You know, everyone's still crossing their fingers, right? They're just holding on for dear life for that wild card spot, baby. It's just falling into their lap. Uh, Hermione, uh, like, this really hit home for me here, because you know me and you have felt like it before. We were like, it said Hermione. She had so many books, they were just spread across tables. I feel like on top of, like, our personal life, but then doing the podcast that we do here, too, that most people don't even know, like, the research we put into this thing. Like, we've seen just books for days on tables, I'm telling you, I, I've been where she's been before. Where you're just like, there's not enough time in the day to get what you need done. So I feel for her. Uh, and Ron, like, brings up a big point here. Like you were saying, like, how's she doing it? And brings up her schedule. It's a big foreshadowing moment there. Um, and then, uh, of course, McGonagall brings back the Firebolt. <clears throat> after, like, in just a bit, but first she actually, like, inspected it for a hurling hex, they called it, and I looked that up. What a hurling hex is, is, like, a hex someone put on it to throw the person off their broom. But at that point, what's the point? He's already been thrown off a broom anyways. So why don't you just let him fall off if he needs to? He's the one taking the risk there, man. Um, and, you know, uh, that's when, you know, Lupin told her, told Harry about the Dementor's kiss, and that's um, the Dementor's greatest weapon. And he said, what's under a Dementor's hood? Professor Lupin, Lupin lowered his, um, lowered, uh, lowered his uh, bottle thoughtfully. Hmm. Well, the only people who really know are in no condition to tell us. You see, the Dementor lowers its hood only to use its last and worst weapon. And he says, what's that? They call it the Dementor's kiss. This is kind of a problem I had with the movie, too, because I feel like the movie, like, every time a Dementor goes near them, they're using the Dementor's kiss. <laughs> like, are you, like, all these kids on a, on a train, no one's doing anything, and you're just using the Dementor's kiss? Okay. It's kind of like a hornet using its bee sting right off, right? But, um, I thought the Dementors did look awesome. Um, and, and it's like you said, uh, I did think this point was really cool because it said, it's what Dementors do to those who wish to destroy utterly. I suppose there must be some kind of mouth under there because they clamp their jaws upon the mouth of the victim and suck out its soul. So that's pretty, uh, like you were saying, that's a very... <laughs> Last thing I don't want, like, so, people, like, worry about getting turned into alligator shit or something if they got ate. Like, I won't want my soul sucked out. It's like in the movie Bedazzled with Brendan Fraser with Elizabeth Hurley that plays a devil. He's like, my soul? You want to take my soul? And Elizabeth Hurley playing the devil goes, do you even use your soul? Do you even know what your soul is? <laughs> what does it do for you? Then she tries to convince him to sell his soul for a burger and fries. <laughs> like, but still, I wouldn't want anyone taking my freaking soul. Like, screw that, man. Um, so, and then, you know, Lupin even says here, like, it was so, like, it's so bad. Like, you know, that's the punishment they have for Sirius. But it's so bad. And he said... You know, Harry was like, he deserves it. And he was like, you think so? 
said Lupin lightly, do you really think anyone deserves that? Like, apparently that's, like, as worse as it gets. Like, this guy is, like, one of the most hated people right now. And even Lupin, down-to-earth Lupin is, like, no one deserves that. Like, that's that's messed up. Um, so, and this is when you have Odd Bodkins. I told you that kind of means good fortune, which is cool. Favorite chapter right here, gotta say it. Chapter 13, Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw. Because <laughs> I'm a Ravenclaw, I guess. I guess, and also, you know, this is the big game coming up very soon is about two chapters. So, yeah, I guess in two Chapter 15 is probably my favorite. But I did like this match, though. So, um, you know, this is when... Uh, Cho Chang, like you were saying, the seeker for Ravenclaw. What, what? You know, Oliver is, like, dirty as hell, trying to knock her off her broom and shit. Knock her off her broom! We do whatever it takes up in here. Literally, imagine dragons at its finest. Whatever it takes! Like, you know Oliver would had his freaking music pumping for that match. He's like, this is it. This is our chance, and still we gotta cross our fingers, making sure we have a chance, making sure Slytherin don't score any extra points, just so we can keep it interesting. Um, well, Ravenclaw, you know, scored three goals, putting, um, so Ravenclaw, uh, scored, but, uh, Gryffindor scored three goals, putting them up 80 to 30, which is really cool, and, uh, Cho was trying, um, to mark Harry off his broom. I thought that was really interesting too because it kind of shows the strategies here of imagine um you know it's not always just about we've talked about quidditch before but you kind of got to think on like a football level right or say you play soccer or whatever you play coming from a professional level here not just like you know high school level or college it's more like a chess game like how ron was playing a wizard's chess it's not just go grab this snitch here so we can win this game and that's going to play a lot into chapter 15 that we'll talk about there with this big match that's dirty as hell. Um, but, like, that's what they were kind of trying to do, and Cho is trying to just block Harry off, um, and then he was trying to block her off just why they kept scoring goals, because that's what people forget. Like, that's where I think they got a lot of stuff messed up. Just because you catch the snitch doesn't mean you win. Like, you gotta get other points, too. Which You made that point so many times. So... Oh, that was interesting, but, you know, Harry, um, like, winds up being, um, like, seeing the Dementors on the ground. <laughs> At least that's what we think they are. And prepared Harry as he's, like, diving to the ground, because he sees these Dementors there, like, shoots the smell and goes, Expecto Patronum! <laughs> like, it, you know, a really weak-ass Spectrum Patronum, if you ask me, like, a little silly screen shot. But enough to scare the hell out of everything there. They just backed away. He's like, nice. So I wasn't even trying. You know, I'm well, not. Yeah. See, I disagree. We could throw. We could throw a debate on that one because on that one in the book, you might be going by the movie. I don't know what you're going by, but when they were talking about that, uh, that the uh, Patronus that he did versus Ravenclaw, 
This said uh, a silver thing erupted from his wand. Like he did a really good Patronus during that match. It was good, but I have a debate on that too. You want to throw the great debate card? We haven't done it in a while. Dude. I summoned the great it. debate card got, on that. <laughs> I'm just looking, oh, I got man. the actual book here. I'm, I'm looking for the spot in it. Oh, and I have another quote that I'm going to back it with that's from the actual book. So I'll give you your moment first. Where is it? I got I to gotta find it first. Now, my All argument right. would be good for Harry, but is it a good Patronus? Uh, no. Yes. He didn't stop to think. Plunging a hand down the neck of his robes, he whipped out his wand and roared, Expecto Patronum! Something silver-white, something enormous, erupted from the end of his wand. He knew he had shot it directly at the Dementors, but didn't pause to watch. His mind still miraculously clear ahead. He was nearly there. So something enormous erupted. That's not a that's not a weak Patronus. And then, as we go in, uh, where did it go? Uh, Professor Lupin actually says something to Harry. Uh, going down. Where are you? <clears throat> I got the quote. <laughs> right, right here. That was quite some Patronus, said a voice in Harry's ear. Harry turned around to see Professor Lupin, who looked both shaken and pleased. So this guy shot something silver white, enormous, erupted from the end of his wand. And even Professor Lupin says that was quite some Patronus. So that was a badass Patronus. That was a full-fledged one. And that's that. I don't know what you go by the film with a little tiny nonsense. And now I'm about to shoot my Patronus right back at yours because yours is ridiculous. Go for it. (laughs) Oh, here's why. And I'm going to use the exact same quotes. So, something enormous erupted from the end of his wand. First of all, just because it's enormous, it doesn't mean it's any good. Some of the best. Are you kidding me? Stop. Right ahead. Stop before you go way behind. Literally, his whole time when he was with Lupin, he was talking about something. Little wispy, silvery things were sh- like shuddering and keep a little little barrier. There's something enormous erupted and sprouted from his... Th- okay, keep going, but you're you're so off. Oh, my goodness. Oh, relax. Relax. Oh, relax. oh no. Oh, yeah. no. We're in this now. Oh, we're in, we're in this. Because I'm about to... Yeah. We're in this now. We're in this now. You look stupid. <laughs> Anyways... Something enormous erupted from the end of his wand. He knew it had shot directly at the demon toys, but didn't pause to watch. Didn't pause to watch. His mind still miraculously clear. He looked ahead. He was nearly there. He stretched out the hand, still grasping his wand, and just managed to close his fingers over the small struggling stitch. So now we know how he won, right? Which is when he shot the Patronus and was coming up. Now, this is going to back my point. Lupin congratulated Harry. That was quite some Patronus, said <laughs> a voice in Harry's ear. Harry turned around to see Professor Lupin, who looked both shaken and pleased. Professor Lupin then tells Harry he defended himself, which this actually did happen. I didn't write down the exact quote. Well, I got the, oh, don't worry, I have the quote here. Um, but because, remember, the Dementors on the ground are Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle. And he goes... The Dementors didn't affect me at all. Here he said exactly. I didn't feel anything. So you're telling me you didn't even have that sense of happiness at all that you're supposed to have to be able to focus on the Dementors at all. Your mind is just completely clear. That would be because they uh, weren't Dementors, said Professor Lupin, meaning I'm just making fun of your ass. And I said, that's quite some Patronus, meaning it sucked. 
<laughs> Come and see. He led Harry out of the crowd until they were able to see the edge of the field. <clears throat> you gave Mr. Malfoy quite a fright, said Lupin. Harry stared. Lying in a crumpled heap on the ground was Malfoy, Crab, Goyle, Marcus Flint, the Slytherin team captain, all struggling to remove themselves from long, black, hooded robes. So you're telling me, unarmed men, your Patronus does nothing. Like, they're still staring on the field. They didn't even move. They just moved their little hoodlums. You weren't even paying attention. Your mind Lying in a crumpled heap. A crumpled heap means you got knocked on your ass. Also said, quite the Patronus there. Meaning yes. I've never Looking seen shaken and so pleased. Bad. Looking I... shaken and pleased. Why would you be pleased if you're giving him crap? It was trash. No, it was a great Patronus. You watched watched the film, you watched the film, and you got shaken up by the film. You weren't reading correctly, you didn't have the detail. But now, don't worry, Uncle Josh is here to show you. He's got the book with the quotes here. Just like you said, in terms of the words that were said, you just took it the wrong way in your mind. Because he shot out, he roared, expect Patronus, something silver white and something enormous, erupted from the end of his wand, and he knew he shot it directly at the Dementors down, and he didn't even watch the pause. Didn't even watch the pause. Didn't even watch the pause there. Didn't watch the pause. Had no focus. Everyone knows the Patronus is supposed to have a focus. Just because the shit is big doesn't mean it's actually He good. knew it had shot directly at the Dementors. He knew it did. It didn't Why would do he stop shit to pause because it? they weren't Dementors. Those Dementors would have eaten his ass alive. He knocked the mess out of them. They were lying in a crumpled heap. Why do you think Professor Lupin was looking shaken and pleased? He was shaken because he thought, oh crap, the mentors came back again. And pleased because Harry defended himself with a badass Patronus. If that was a badass Patronus, why would Lupin say... That's because they weren't Dementors. If they were Dementors, they would have kicked Harry's ass. No, he said because they didn't affect him. He said, I didn't feel what I usually feel. He's like, well, there's a reason you didn't feel what you usually feel. is because they weren't actually Dementors. Because they would have kicked saying, your ass, Harry. By the way, the <laughs> Patronus itself was still a fucking awesome Patronus. There wasn't even anything that came out of it. That's the problem. If it was an awesome Patronus, yes, it was. we didn't oh my see no animal. We didn't see no none of that. It was like silly screen. He didn't stop to look at it. That was the point. This because is a fucking foreshadow. This is a had... foreshadow of what he sees later. He didn't stop to look. He kept going. If he would have stopped, he would have realized what his Patronus was right there. It gets brought up later in the book. Depending on what his thoughts were. When he was fighting the Boger, the Bogart, Bogart, whatever you call it, he couldn't. He thought of even thinking of the House Cub. You know, the, our, our, the Quidditch Cub. Which is what he was exactly thinking about now is that stupid-ass Quidditch Cup in that game. <laughs> he couldn't even beat the Boggart. If you can't beat the Boggart, you can't beat the Dementor. All you can beat Interesting, is Interesting, because what happens at the very end of the book? Because you're going to make me spoils for the next people. What did he say at the very end of the book? He said, I, I knew it because I've already seen myself do it. Had nothing to do with thinking. He didn't think about anything happy in that moment when he cast the really great one at the very end of this book. Didn't think about a single happy moment. So stick that in your pipe and smoke it. You just got trashed. Lawyered. Plot hole, plot hole, plot hole. Plot hole, plot hole, plot hole. Which means they need some better writing for this book. Because it's wrong, wrong, wrong. Ass a 9, ass a 10, ass 11, <laughs> ass a awful Patronus. And that's my stance on it. I think, yeah, I think it was a shitty Patronus. And that's why he survived. If it was looping on that broom, it would have kicked some ass. But he didn't kick some ass. 
because he, he said did. his Patronus came down quote. and knocked all that of them down like bowling some pins. Patronus I saw. That was looking trash. pleased, looking very pleased with him. Like, wow, man, that was awesome. Great, that was a great Patronus. I gotta admit, I'm actually just um, really annoyed with it because. <laughs> yeah, I lost that one. Because here's the problem: is I have to agree with you on that, <laughs> but at the same time, I do have issues with it because you can't have a clear head when you're shooting a. Maybe that was really. No, I don't agree with that either. And then look, because well, keep in mind too, and this is this is going to go something separate from meaning fighting Dementors. Just to create a Patronus alone, you can create it without any. Real issue. Remember, like oh, yeah. after a certain after a certain test, one, like this is books from now. Someone asked Harry to just do it, just so you can see. Like, oh, I heard you can do this, and he demonstrates it and like, it for bonus up, points. There is uh, actually one person I'm a major fan of that comes up multiple books from now, months from now. We'll talk about this. That is one of the most important people in this book that shoots a Patronus. So. And it didn't really describe, like, well, I would say he was probably feeling, I don't think he was feeling a sense of happiness at that time. <laughs> That's for sure. So I have to agree with you. I think it, I was not exactly impressed that he beat Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle. Am I impressed he beat Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle? And Marcus was, Flint, don't be disrespectful, but add the woo! numbers, Chase. Add the numbers, baby. Fine. I'll give it to you. I'll give this one to you. Because I was really annoyed, but I didn't think... Ah, uh, yeah, in the book it was pretty badass. However, I've seen better. If it was me on that broomstick, Malfoy wouldn't have been standing, is all I gotta say. <laughs> he wasn't standing, he was lying in a crumpled heap. <laughs> no, he wouldn't have been alive, he would have been like Peter Pettigrew. Would have been in smithereens already. So <laughs> would have been in smithereens. I Harry, almost just gave. I almost just ruined the whole end of the book right there, but I stopped myself. <laughs> if Harry casted a legit Patronus, his ass would have already been taken to Azkaban already. Those Dementors would have actually surrounded him on that field, but no, he didn't. He a Patronus a doesn't cell. kill anyone. Well, agree to dis disagree. Mine would have. Mine would have been so powerful. <laughs> Then again, actually, you'll laugh your ass off when you hear what my Patronus is, because I put it in my interesting facts. My Patronus is, like, probably the most um, non-lethal Patronus ever. Probably the one you would laugh at the most, but... All right, off to the Shadow Realm. Yeah. We'll Power levels over 9,000 today. That was a fun one, though. That was a heated one. I like that one. That was heat controversy, baby. You got to see. That was some controversy. I was watching uh, Impulsive the other day, and they got so intense. Like, uh, Logan Paul is going out as co-host, and he's like, you only got 9,000 Twitter followers, man. Only 9,000 <laughs> Twitter followers. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. Off to the Shadow Realm. Cool. Okay, so... Off to that point, so you made your point on that, so we'll skip right over it then. This is when we get to that big moment. You know, like you said, Ron woke up and, you know, Sirius, like, had the knife to him. And one big thing I do want to bring up here, like, a lot of people, like, were questioning whether Ron was just having nightmares at this moment. Um, and he was even like, it wasn't a nightmare, Ron yelled. Professor, I woke up and Sirius Black was standing over me holding a knife. But at this moment, I mean, you know Sirius is on the loose, but you'd still kind of think it was 
The probability is not very high that he sneaks in there and just holds a knife to Ron's throat. So I can see where they're coming from. However, we do see later on why that case is. Um, going into chapter 14, this is one of my favorite Snape's grudge, my boy right here. Oh, yeah. Um, so, like you said, Sir Cadigan was fired. Very sad. Had to learn his lesson there. <laughs> Our boy Sir Cadigan. Oh. Very sad. Uh, the fat lady, uh, Large Marge, <laughs> Large Marge 2, took back over, got put in the painting. Um, Hagrid, you know, uh, sends Ron and Harry a letter for tea, like we were saying. You know, he was talking to them about, you know, you should be putting your friends first, so... Hermione, all the respect on that one for trying to help out Hagrid. Um, and then, you know, uh, um, you, that's when you have that whole big thing where Hermione was, I gotta give you props, like, I wouldn't have, like, threatened to give the Marauders map away. That was pretty messed up. That was dirty. But I can, I mean, I guess i can see where she's coming from just and like because... the timing was just so bad because Hagrid had just talked like harry and ron like off the edge of like being mean to her like they were thinking like you're right we feel bad we should go be friends with her again and then as soon as they get back in she's like i'm gonna tell on you they're like what the heck man <laughs> oh like, yeah what the heck? Mm, it was it was bad i'm gonna tell on you now you're mine it's just <laughs> the worst timing it was the worst timing worst timing um, in the movie at this point where this is when, you know, Harry pulls that big prank on Malfoy when going to Hogsmeade and, you know, he hits Malfoy with the mud, the mud. And then, uh, wasn't it crab that like tripped over his leg? Right. And then pulled off the him and that's what exposed his head and his like floating head was there. So in the movie, it was kind of ridiculous because he just like shows up there with Hermione and Ron, and he's, like, playing with Hermione's pigtails, and they're like, Harry! And then he pulls <laughs> off. That's literally what happened! Do you remember that part? Like, Harry! And then he just, like, pulls it off, and he's there. One, how'd you even know they were there, first of all? Like, you search all of Hogsmeade in, like, five minutes and just randomly happen to be in this, like, spot. That's where they're at. I thought it was kind of ridiculous, but, um, like you said, in that book was really cool, because then he was coming back, and it even describes how, remember, he was, um, like, trying to race against the clock to get back before Malfoy told, like, a little rat. And uh, he gets back to the one-eyed witch statue and dun-dun-dun, here we, here we go, <laughs> one more time, everybody's feeling fine. Here we go now. It's a, here, yeah, we yeah. Go. here we go. Here we go. Got the fancy. Got the flow. Oh yeah. <laughs> good stuff. And that's when uh, big bad good cop bad cop comes out. <laughs> you got Harry trying to defend his case here. And Harry, the big thing here is he's trying to say this is really all Harry has because all you can really say is Malfoy's having hallucinations, right? That's just kind of like pleading the fifth, like playing dumb. But I guess it like worked. But I feel like he should have still tried to come up with something. But really, you don't have anything because you are caught in the act at this point. At least he like put the invisibility cloak in like the corner, a corner somewhere. Um, and so he comes back and is stopped. And he goes, <clears throat> Snape catches Harry, and he takes him back to his office. And he goes. 
Mr. Malfoy has just been to see me with a strange story, Potter, said Snape. He tells me that he was by the Shrieking Shack when he ran into Weasley, apparently alone. Still, Harry didn't speak. Mr. Malfoy states that he was standing talking to Weasley when a large amount of mud hit him in the back of the head. How do you think that could have happened? Mr. Malfoy then saw an extraordinary apparition. I don't think you can uh, apparate, Harry. Can you imagine what it might have been, Potter? Oh, that, okay, apparition. Apparition, apparition. is like, a, like yeah. yeah, that's different than apparating. Like a, that's diff- yeah, yeah, I was making a joke about Oh, okay. Apparating. All right, you had, me, you had me confused. I was like, wait, does he really think it was like like an apparition? Oh, like, no, okay, no, 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 Appar- no. Right. Apparition, like um, almost like yeah. a... Like, it appeared like a thing, silhouette yeah. or something like that. Apparate, I was making a joke about what Ron gotcha. said. Like I confused. I was like, wait, does he really think that? All right, perfect. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Uh, he's like, can you imagine what it might have been, Potter? No, said Harry, now trying to send, sound innocently curious. It was your head, Potter, floating in midair. There was a long silence. Maybe he'd better go to Madame Pomfrey, said Harry. If he's seen things like, what would you, what would your head have been doing in Hogsmeade, Potter? Hogsmeade, Potter, Snape said softly. Your head is not allowed in Hogsmeade. No part of your body has permission to be in Hogsmeade. I knew that, said Harry, uh, striving to keep his face free of guilt or fear. It sounds like Malfoy is halluc- Malfoy is not having hallucinations, snarled Snape. He bent down, a hand on each arm of Harry's chair, so that their faces were a foot apart. If your head was in Hogsmeade, so was the rest of you. And then Snape goes on to compare Harry's father. And um, this is that moment where he goes you know when he was like saying how I heard my father say I heard how my father saved your life he goes I would hate for you to run away with a false idea of your father Potter he said in a terrible grin twisting face have you been imagining some act of glorious heroism then let me correct you your saintly father and his friends played a highly amusing joke on me that would have resulted in my death if your father hadn't got cold feet at the last moment. There was nothing brave about what he did. He was saving his own skin as much as mine. Had the joke succeeded, he would have been expelled from Hogwarts. Basically, your father is a piece of shit. (laughs) That's what your father is. And that's when, uh, you know, Snape was like, empty your pockets, making him empty all his pockets. And that's when he pulls out, you know, the parchment and the zonk, what is it, zonkos? Zonko? Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, spare bit of parchment, he said with a shrug. Snape turned it over, his eyes on Harry. Surely you don't need such a very old piece of parchment, he said. Why don't I just throw it away? His hand moved over towards the fire, and Harry's like, no! Here's it quietly. So, said Snape in his long nostrils, quivering. Is this another treasured gift from Mr. Weasley? Or is it something else? A letter, perhaps? 
written in invisible ink or instructions to get into Hogsmeade without passing the Dementors. Very blink, Snape's, Snape's eyes gleamed. Let me see, let me see, buttered, taking out his wand and smoothing the map out over his desk. Reveal your secret, he said, touching the wand to the parchment. Nothing happened. Harry clenched his hands to stop them from shaking. Show yourself, Snape said, tapping the wand sharply. It stayed blank. Harry was taking deep, calming breaths. Professor, Server, Snape, Master of School. Professor, Server, Snape, Master of School commands you to yield the information you conceal. Snape said, hitting the map with his wand as though an invisible hand were writing upon it. Words appeared on the smooth surface of the map. Mr. Mooney presents his compliments to Professor Snape and begs him to keep his abnormally large nose out of other people's business. The map went on. Mr. Prongs agrees with Mr. Mooney and would like to add that Professor Snape is an ugly git. Mr. Padfoot would like to register to his astonishment that an idiot like that... How did an idiot like that ever become a professor? Mr. Wormtail bids the Professor Snape good day and advises him to wash his hair the slime wall. <laughs> so Snape is just like, like, what just happened? And this is that moment where you were talking about, you know, Lupin comes in, interrupts, and, you know, Snape is like, this is full of dark magic. And Lupin goes, do you really think so, Sirius? Does it look like dark magic to you? It merely looks like a piece of parchment. That insults anyone who reads it. Childish. But surely not dangerous. I imagine Harry got it from the joke shop. <laughs> like, what a slap in Snape's face right here. Um, Lupin is the man. And that's when, you know, Ron busts in. He sticks up for Harry and he's like, I gave Harry that stuff. He choked. Bought it in Zonkos ages ago. And that's when Lupin goes, Harry, Ron, you're coming with me. Like, that's exactly where it came from. Plot hole, by the way, just throwing this out there. How does Ron know they were in Snape's office? Out of all places. Like, just throwing that out there randomly shows up, right? Um, so, and then you already went into, you know, Lupin was telling him, like, you need to give that map back. It's not right. So, here's the big one. The Quidditch final, man. This felt like if you ever had that massive rivalry in high school that just turned out bloody, like... I remember I went to a school called Etowah High School, and right down the street was called Woodstock, and it was so close. Anytime the school played each other, especially in football, like, it was dirty. Like, dirty hits. I still remember they were even on the newspaper for, like, a brawl at the lake, like, the Friday before. Of course, like, you know, old schoolboy fights, but, like, that's what brawls it, and that... What it really felt like here uh, was just the environment raging up to this. Um, and this was, uh, I wanted to bring this up because, you know, this is when Hermione, like, breaks down when it's getting to the breaking point. When she finds out Buckbeak's going to get executed. And she goes, oh, Ron, and, like, flungs her arms around Ron's neck and broke down completely. Uh, Ron, looking quite terrified, patted her very awkwardly on the top of the head. Um, and then finally, Hermione drew away. So, foreshadowing kind of moment there, but 
like it just goes to show, you know, like Hermione has about had all she can take at this moment. Um, and she apologizes for scabbers and all that's going on. Uh, Malfoy being a total ass is like mocking Hagrid, like you were saying, hundred uh, percent. And that's when, like you said, you went over the one in the book where uh, Hermione like slaps him and everything, and that was really good of her. And, in the film, I gotta say, they kind of do this um, ad-lib that Hermione does, which was really cool, because it does kind of give that iconic line, I think <laughs> the best actor that they have is in the Watson. So, really? And uh, Malfoy is such an ass in the movie. He's like, new look! Who's here? Come to see the show! <laughs> like, right before, like, Buckbeat's about to get executed. This is in the film. Hermione goes, you foul, loathsome, evil little cockroach! And Hermione, like, holds the wand, like, right to his face. And, like, Malfoy's such a little bitch in the film. Like, he just starts bawling, crying. So, gotta give Malfoy a lot more respect in the books. Which, you went over that side, but... I gotta... And then Ron, remember, Ron was even... I gotta say, Rupert did not sell this at all. He was just like, Hermione, no. He's not worth it. <laughs> like... Emma Watson is the only one that sold that moment right there. Thank the Lord Emma Watson's in this movie, because she makes it. And that's when, you know, instead of slapping him like in the book, she punches him and just decks him in the face. And I thought it was awesome. Malfoy got exactly what he deserved right there. Um, so kind of going past that moment, you, you're the one that covered that one nailed on the head. That was awesome. Um, then... Like you said, you know, Hermione, you covered that moment where she was mocking Trelawney. You got to give her mad respect on that. That's why girl... She walked out. She walked her ass out, man. Yeah, man. Finally stuck up for herself. So I'm, I'm proud of her. I thought that was awesome. Um, and then this is when it gets to the nitty-gritty. And I'm going to really break this one down. Because this is... Not break it down too in detail, but... Just so everyone All the dirty up. tricks. All the all dirty the, tricks, yeah, man. I figured. I've never do your seen thing, man. dirtier. Out of all Take the, it away. <laughs> oh yeah, man. No, I was just gonna say, what do you think? I mean, honestly, out of all the books, I've never seen a dirtier footage match, I don't think. I don't think I've seen like a dirtier like thing, period. <laughs> like I don't know if like <laughs> anyone else is like that was that was dirty, man. That was <laughs> it was so dirty. Um, so the Gryffindor vs. Slytherin match was set to take place the first Saturday after the Easter holiday. So already gearing up here, so that's like pretty big. Because um, you know everyone's going to be you know back in school at that point, so everyone's going to be at this game. Slytherin, just to set the tone here, was already leading the houses by 200 points, which we already talked a little bit about. Just think of from a strategy perspective how difficult that is. Like, you can't just catch the snitch. Because you catch the snitch, it doesn't matter. You still lost the cup anyways. Like, you have to plan this like a chess match down to the team. Um, which Oliver told Harry over and over only to catch the snitch if they were more than 50 points up because catching the snitch only gives 150 points. It says, so you must catch it only if we're more than 50 points up. Uh, constantly kept reminding Harry, 
because they wouldn't have won. And he goes, I know Oliver. Well, Gryffindor hadn't won the, uh, the, I said, not House Cup, the Quidditch Cup since Charlie Weasley was uh, the seeker, which that's Ron's second oldest brother, which remember he's off in Romania searching for dragons, but he was a beast back in his day. So it's been so long. So Oliver's just like going into history books, you know, gripping on tight for this one. Um, the match, like I said, reminded me of those old, dirty rivalries, right? Um, and it was so intense. Harry was dreaming about it the night before. And he actually was dreaming about as if the Slytherins showed up on dragons, right? Going to how we're talking about, you know, dragon riders, Game of Thrones style. But then, uh, and I was even wondering at first, I was like, would they allow that? And then they answered it because he was like, they definitely wouldn't allow that. And that's how he realized it was a dream. Um, but then, you know, when he woke up and he looked out his window, this is kind of a big one. And you have that foreshadowing moment uh, where, you know, next to Crookshanks, you have this massive, shaggy, gigantic dog that he's seeing out his window in the middle of the night. And everyone else would be like, what? Like, what's going on out there? Um, that's insane. Like, wouldn't even believe it, right? Um, <clears throat> then the crowd shows up for the final match when it's the next day. It's finally that moment, right? It was described as enormous. Uh, to the point of, even at breakfast the next day, uh, you know, Cho Chang was even like, good luck, Harry. Like, I feel like everyone was rooting against Slytherin at this moment. Like, everyone's rooting against Slytherin. Like, this is it. Um, this is it. And they described it was a tidal wave of like crimson for the Gryffindor colors, and you had 200 Slytherins that were in attendance. So first, the match is underway, and everyone's screaming, you know, the brooms are, are flying everywhere. Angelina scores, putting Gryffindor up 10-0 up top. Marcus Flint smashes her into her broom, almost knocking her off. Dirty as shit. I don't know about you, but that screams penalty all over to me. Um, Fred Weasley then chucked his beater's glove. I had never even heard of this. Chucked the club back at Flint's head. Like, just as bad, I would say. Like, and then Flint's nose got smashed by the handle of the club. It, like, was bleeding out. Could have literally taken the head off this guy. Through is, like is this the film or the book that this is describing right now? This is the book. This is literally okay. the book. Um, yeah, the film. Uh, Forget about the film. Go into the book. <laughs> I like the book. I'm not even bringing the film up in this part. I've covered what I need to cover in the film. <laughs> uh, book is so much better. So then Gryffindor and Slytherin both get penalty shots for the deliberate damage. Uh, Madam Hooch issues that. Alicia scores, uh, but would uh, save the penalty from Flint. Uh, so Gryffindor is leading 20 nothing at this point. Then you have Katie got a penalty shot, and she scored. So that's 30 nothing Gryffindor. Harry gets hit with two bludgers while he's creating that diversion against Malfoy because he zooms off trying to keep Malfoy distracted so he's not looking for the snitch, because they got to keep these people at bay. Why uh, Gryffindor scoring points, just so they can get ahead before Harry looks for the snitch. 
Well, why that happens, Flint scores. So the score is now 30 to 10, uh, Gryffindor up. Game just gets dirtier and dirtier. Described as the dirtiest game Harry has ever even played. Bull hit Alicia with a club and tried to say it was a bludger. And then George elbowed Bull from Slytherin in the face, giving two more deliberate penalties. Wood then pulled off a save. Uh, Oliver Wood pulled off a save so they didn't get scored on. And then another score came for Gryffindor. So you got 40 to 10 Gryffindor. Katie then scored. So you had 50 to 10 Gryffindor leads. Angelina scored. Now it's 60 to 10 Gryffindor leads. Uh, which, like I was saying, you know, imagine how difficult this is. You're just having to kind of wait there if you're hearing by time. Fred. You miss, you miss one dirty moment right between Katie and Angelina scores when they double hit Oliver Wood in the stomach with the bludgers. Yeah, that, that was good. I'm glad you timed in on that. That was good. <laughs> this game was so dirty. There are so many dirty moments. Um, then Fred pelted Warrington with a bludger. Like, this is starting to become like dodgeball. Just pelting. <laughs> Pelt him in the face. Pelt him in the face. Alicia, though, caught it. So Karma's a bitch, comes around, scored with that, um, and then 70 to 10, Gryffindor is leading. So Harry bolts off because it's time to grab the snitch. Here's where it gets even dirtier. Harry's reaching out for the snitch, and all of a sudden the fireball that's going like 150 miles an hour is starting to slow down. Like, why is this fireball malfunctioning? What is going on? Malfoy's dirty ass is grabbing the broom from the back, holding it back so it can't grab the snitch. Not to mention it's dangerous as shit for Malfoy. What if he, like, falls off? Let's go of his broom, falls to the bottom. Everyone, I'm literally thinking cheating bastard. Lee Jordan even announces, you cheating scum. Professor McGonagall doesn't even have anything to say. She was just shaking her finger at Malfoy's direction. Her hat had even fallen off because she was shouting so furiously in midair. Alicia then took the penalty for Gryffindor because of that. But of course, what was awarded, um, she actually missed that penalty, unfortunately. Uh, Montague wound up scoring for Slytherin, so they're starting to, you know, kind of build momentum here. So it's 70 to 20 Gryffindor. Harry then zooms towards the Slytherin team to distract him. Bolt straight to him to create a diversion so that Angelina so can try to make a clearing for her. Angelina throws in a score. It's 80 to 20 Gryffindor. Harry then sees Malfoy dive towards the snitch. So he nosedives straight towards the bottom as Malfoy is diving, flattening his broom all the way to the bottom at the end of the fireball, catching up to Malfoy. Then, he, as Malfoy's reaching out for the snitch, he knocks his hand down. Ultimate defense play ever. Defense builds champions. Offense puts fans in the stands, baby. Harry <laughs> reached out and then catches the snitch as he's flattening himself against the broom and has both hands off of the broom. Malfoy's arm is out of the way. Everyone's screaming, yes, he pulled off the dive. In midair, the stadium explodes. 
Harry, Harry soars to the ground. The crowd is jumping over the stands. They go rush the field just like a crazy football game, making that massive comeback while the tiny golden ball was held tight in his hands, beating its wings helplessly against his fingers. We've won the cup! We've won the cup! We've won it! The crimson supporters were pouring over the barriers of the field, and then hands were raining on their backs as they're hoisting everyone, hoisting the players of midair. Confused in passion, uh, the bodies of the players were pressing on him. Harry and the rest of the team kept being hoisted. And then Dumbledore stood waiting with the enormous Quidditch cup right there in the center of the field. The happy, insane moment where everyone's on the field right here. And then Professor Mer Professor McGonagall is literally in tears. I have never seen Professor McGonagall in tears in my life. Um, Percy was jumping in the air, which, you know, good boy Percy never does shit. Little strict Percy usually stays with a little stern face, never says nothing. He's in the air, jumping up and down, doesn't give a shit. Oliver Wood is wiping tears from his eyes. Uh, the Gryffindor flag is swaying back and forth. Uh, the fight song singing. Harry, Ron, and Hermione, Hermione are rushing towards Harry. And, you know, this is that moment where they feel like they've just accomplished it all. Words failed them. They simply beamed as Harry was, uh, bor was uh, beaming towards the stands where Dumbledore stood waiting with the enormous Quidditch Cup. If only there had been a Dementor around. As a sobbing wood passed Harry the cup, as he lifted it into the air, Harry felt he could have produced the world's best Patronus. And that's the ultimate ending for that chapter. Heck yeah. That was awesome, man. And I'll let you <laughs> take it from here. Yeah, man. I mean, I just got some uh, foreshadow events that I'll just detail. Now I've got a couple plot holes. And then, like, one or two interesting facts, and then I'm, I'm set on my end. But uh, page 186, when Lupin tells Harry the school plane of the Whomping Willow the same year he arrived at Hogwarts, that's a foreshadowed event that comes up later on. Page 200, we get to see the inside of the three broomsticks for the first time, which comes to be a, a normal meeting area for them mm -hmm. in the future. Um, page 204, we learn why people have been warning Harry not to go looking for Sirius Black, right? That big conversation that they overheard with... Uh, Fudge, Hagrid, McGonagall, and Flitwick, and Rose Merida. Uh, page 206, there was the full circle moment where Hagrid talks about borrowing the flying motorcycle from book one from Sirius Black. I just want to make sure I put that in this section as well. Um, page 207, we hear about Peter Pettigrew for the first time, and he comes up again, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, Sirius asked Fudge for his newspaper, page 209. Why this is super important is this what's, is what sets everything all in motion is when Sirius gets the paper from uh, Cornelius Fudge. Uh, page 215, they said like Peter Pettigrew's parents were sent like like all those uh, awards and gave him the biggest piece that they could find of Pettigrew, which was his finger in a box. Now that finger in a box is super important too. Um, page 218, obviously they get the notice for Buckbeak's hearing. Uh, page 225, Crookshanks goes after Scabbers again. And then page 226, while it's happening, the sneak scopes going off, like you mentioned. And that kind of, you know, just get a little even more shady, right? Page 232, Hermione thinks the fireball was sent by Sirius Black, which is kind of funny because, you know, she's 
not entirely wrong. Uh, uh, page 236, Hermione scoffs at Ron when he wonders aloud what's wrong with Lupin. She, she's figured it out by now. So page 236, like this book has what, how many pages? 430 something? 435 pages in this book and Hermione figured it out at page 236 that she knew what was up with Lupin because she goes, isn't it obvious? And this is when they weren't talking because like Scabbers had a, allegedly been eaten by Crookshanks at this point, right? <laughs> and now page 241, Lupin tells Harry he was friends with his dad at Hogwarts. That's a foreshadow. Page 242, we see the silvery orb boggard again for Lupin and Harry notices it this time. Page 244, Ron brings up Hermione's impossible schedule again with four classes scheduled around the same time, like two at one o'clock and two at nine o'clock, two at one o'clock. Um, <clears throat> now, page 249, Neville loses the passwords, which leads directly to what we talked about earlier, Black entering the, the common room and, and ultimately getting up into Harry's dorm. Um, page 251, what Ron does, he, he shows the sheets, the bloody sheets and the tufts of ginger cat fur to make it seem like, hey, your cat ate my rat, which <laughs> we figure out is a staple of Scabbers, uh, uh, making it seem like he's more uh, hurt than he really is. <laughs> I'll say that. Um, yeah. Page 259, Harris, Harry notices Cho change is extremely pretty, so I think this is where his crush first starts to begin on her. He said noticeably pretty, right? <laughs> Page 270, Ron and Harry ponder why Black didn't kill Ron and proceed to kill Harry. And they come up with like this theory that hey, if he had to kill, he would have to kill everybody. And by that time, you know, the teachers could have got to him, so he just decided not to. But we know that's not the case. Um, page two seventy nine, Ron says no one can get into the Shrieking Shack. Well, we find out later why no one can get into the Shrieking <laughs> Shack and exactly how that kind of comes up later on. Page two eighty eight. Professor Snape, when he's talking to Lupin, he's like, are you sure they didn't get this map directly from the manufacturers? Meaning, like, Snape kind of knew a little bit about the names that appeared on the Marauder's map, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then, page 289, right after that, Harry says, do you know the people who made this map? And Professor Lupin looks at him and says, we've met. So, that's pretty cool. Page 294... Hermione does. Hermione actually misses a, for her first class. She misses the cheering charms. I thought that was pretty crazy, um, even though that she had been right next to them when they opened the door. So when when they opened there, they turned around and all of a sudden she wasn't there, and they found her sleeping in the common room. They're like, yo, you missed charms, and she like, freaks out and like, but you were right next to us. Like, what happened? So we're starting to get more and like she's starting to slip up, and so her secret is not going to be secret for long. And then page three hundred three. Like you were mentioning right before the game, the quote is, and then, and just then it emerged, a gigantic shaggy black dog. So Harry thinks he sees the Grimm before that mm -hmm. final uh, Quidditch match against uh, Slytherin. And so those are all the foreshadowed events that I had uh, for there. Just wanted to blow through those. Those are all set. Do you have any ones you want to add to that, my man? Uh, let's see. Uh <clears throat> Not very many. I mean, the first one in Chapter 10, the Marauder's Map, when uh, Lupin returned and was uh, still looked sick, um, other, you hit most of them. Um, I mean, of course, you said you know, especially in the Marauders match, Chapter Ten, when Fudge. Uh, well, here's one I put was when Fudge said he met with Black in Azkaban, and he was surprised at how normal he seemed. 
that was kind of a foreshadowing one for the future that I put down there. Um, on page 226, you know, you mentioned, you know, when um, Kirk Shanks, like, went after Scabbers, of course, and, like, ripped through his pajamas. Um, on chapter 11, uh, the firebolt as well, when the pocket sneakoscope uh, began to, like, whirl and whistle, that was foreshadowing. Um, also, like, Harry had noticed, like, Scabbers uh, had gotten skinny and lost fur. Uh, it's kind of a foreshadowing moment there as well about Scabbers' future. Um, uh, and then Dumbledore told Trelawney in Chapter 11 that um, Lupin was ill again, of course. Uh, chapter 11, which I have the quotes, but there's no point in reading the quotes here. Um, and then in Chapter 11, Trelawney in the same place said, If you must know, Minerva, <laughs> I have seen the poor Professor Lupin. Uh, will not be with us for very long. He seems aware himself that his time is short. He has positively fled when I offered a crystal gaze for him. Page 229. Um, so just once again foreshadowing that position. Um, of course, like chapter 11, uh, the firebolt Hermione had to speak with McGonagall again. Uh, going to chapter 12, um, uh, you know, Trelawney reminds Harry that she sees another short lifespan in him, so that's kind of another foreshadowing for much later on. Um, and then Ron mentions again in that same chapter that Lupin still looks ill. Uh, also in that same chapter, um, Ron wonders, of course, like you were saying, how like Hermione is getting her schedule done. Chapter 15, um, the Quidditch final, um, this is what I, I mean, how Ron says he'll help Hermione with Buckbeat's appeal, and, like, she broke down on him. I just put foreshadowing, you know, what's to come on that. Um, also, uh, Harry, of course, saw, like you said, that gigantic black dog, definitely foreshadowing. And then in the film, in the film, I won't mention spoilers, but the film is definitely foreshadowing with the Marauder's Map, because he sees a very significant set of footsteps with a name <laughs> that no one's seen before. <laughs> so, very interesting foreshadowing on that. And that's all the foreshadowings I had. Awesome. Then, to go into plot holes and discrepancies, I only had three that I had an issue with during this portion of the book, between chapter 10 and chapter 15. How did, you know, page 192, like, how did Fred and George originally learn how to use the Marauder's Map? Like at what like at what point did they just figure out? Oh, this is the words I have to say to make it appear, and this is what I have to do to make it go <laughs> away. There, there was no instructions, mm -hmm. so like, how did they like figure it out? I just don't know. Like, you know, they told Harry how to do it, so it makes sense how Harry knows how. But they said that they found it in Filch's cabinet, and that they don't think Filch ever found out how to work it because you know, else he would have been able to find out about the other passageways. So my question is like, how the heck did Fred and George figure out how to work it? Yeah, we just never cool. get an answer to that. Like. <laughs> In what world do they just, like, come out the womb knowing how to use the Marauders map? Like, we saw what <laughs> happens when you try to use it. Snape gets, like, insulted by the Marauders. Like, so, I don't know how, they, you know, they figured it out. I would like to know that. Uh, page 276. This is a big one. Because with Professor Snape, remember when Harry was about to go in and then Neville, like, is like, Oh, hey, Harry, I forgot you're not going to Hogsmeade either. <laughs> Yeah, Harry had opened the the passage to the one-eyed witch, and he didn't have time to close it. 
So he so he opened it there, put his like like he had not he didn't put his stuff in there. Excuse me, quite yet. But he opened the passage to the one-eyed witch, had to like talk off Neville, like kept walking that way. Snape came around the corner, and then when they had no choice but to walk back towards the the common room, he looked back and Snape was examining the statue. Well, if Snape was examining the statue, he would have seen the passage that Harry did not have time to close. <laughs> so I'm really confused on how he didn't find the passage there that was right there. I don't know. Yeah. So I I, I, I got to agree tell me. there. Yeah, that doesn't make it. Yeah. Like, and then my last one in page 287 is like, how could the Marauders have made it so that their words appear to the point of picking out specific details after they've been gone from the school for over 17 years. And one one of them, not to get too much away, is no longer around, period. So, like, when they were picking on Snape about his long nose, greasy, slimy hair, how could you become a professor? Like, <laughs> like how are these things that they know to say when, like, it's, it's a map and, like, their memories would only have been from, you know, 17 years ago when they were all in school? And I do that math, guys, because... Harry's parents were 21 when Voldemort murdered them. You take that four years to get back to age 17 where you graduate. So add 17 um, to you know, uh, subtract that. So that comes down to them being like gone for over 17 years from Hogwarts, from where ha- Harry is, because you have to add 13 to that because Harry is 13 years old, right? So yeah. uh, I just don't know how you've gotten gone for school for that long and you somehow have the ability to know what the person is and then make specific comments about them like like very specific yeah. so mm-hmm. i just would like to know that one as well so those are the ones i had did you have any ones that you wanted to add or did you want to help me figure one of those out or did those all just kind of like what the heck <laughs> i mean i was the same way i agree with you on that because i was like <laughs> what the heck i mean neville like you gotta say always gets shit on i feel like every year gets shit on but no, I agree with you on that 100%. Um, the only ones I even had were the ones I already mentioned where Ron just randomly shows up knowing they're in Snape's office. And then in the film, like, Hermione randomly finds Harry in the snow because I guess he's such a damn loud crier. She finds him <laughs> under the invisibility cloak in the middle of nowhere. Okay. Um And also the fact that Harry, like, randomly found them to play a trick on Malfoy. In the film, all right, <laughs> but I didn't buy it. Whatever, it's all for fun. But yeah, I agree with you on that, man. Any malice in the chalice? Do you want to no, use what's but, uh, going on? Anything else? Well, there's the one thing that we still haven't tackled yet is the interesting facts. Yeah, that, let's do it. Man. So tackle tackle your interesting facts that you have for uh, the this portion of the book from chapter ten through chapter fifteen. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, this one, I wrote down an interesting fact. It's not much of it, because I don't want to give too much away about it, but uh, the Marauders were... Um, uh, I'll just tell the year and stuff, because I don't want to tell the people, because it could kind of give it away. But so in 1971 to 1978, it was created. Um, you know, it was created during their fifth and sixth years at Hogwarts. The group created the Marauders. It is still unknown... Um, how Filch got the map, I tried to look that up, but no one still knows. Um, and there's big names. Will we find out those big names later? Because I don't want to say them if we're going to find out later. Yes. Yeah, so we'll find those out later. Next uh, week. <clears throat> next week. Okay, good stuff. 
Uh, I did write down, you covered this really, the passage where he's at Hogwarts. Tell me if there's any um, we missed. Uh, I got the one-eyed statue at Honeydukes that you said. Uh, the passage behind the mirror that's been the Lisa Hogs movement is locked up now. Uh, the passage beneath the Whomping Willow. There's a passage actually behind Gregory Swarmy, which is a uh, medieval British potions expert, and that is a picture there. Uh, that's number four. There is actually, so what used to be not really there anymore, there were two vanishing cabinets uh, that had a tunnel that led to Morgan and Botts and Nocturne Alley. Uh, it worked until 1992 when Peeves smashed the Hogwarts cabinet on the floor above Angus Filch's, uh, Argus Filch's office. And then... Uh, yeah, that happened last year. That was before the death day party. Yeah, because last that's, year. Because uh, Nearly Have the Snick is the one that talked Peeves into doing that. That's right, and, yeah. And <laughs> that cabinet is a big foreshadow because that is used in three books from now. Exactly. So. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, number six, there is actually a passage in the Room of Requirement that a lot of people don't know. It leads to Hog's Head Bar, uh, and it's behind the portrait of Dumbledore's sister, Ariana Dumbledore. So not Ariana Grande. Wish it was, but it's Ariana Dumbledore. Me too, Dumbledore. man. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. And then the last one, actually, they said, uh, according to Fred and George... Um, there's one passageway that has been like sealed or collapsed from dark magic and they're still looking for the location. Was there one I missed? No, that's seven, right? That's seven. Yeah. yeah I just wasn't mm-hmm. sure if maybe you knew of that one and I didn't. Um, the other cool, interesting fact I had is like, <clears throat> you know, it talked a little bit about, you know, we're, we even talked about this in Sorcerer's Stone a little bit. The Order of Merlin First Class, like that award. So the Order of Merlin First Class Award, it's an award bestowed upon wizards and witches who have achieved the greatest things in the wizarding world. It is broken into levels. First, second, and third class, equivalent to the British Empire Order. It was created in the 15th century in honor of Merlin. First class is awarded or acts of astounding bravery, distinction in magic, the color of ribbon, and the class is green. And the reason why is because that's actually Merlin's color. They say he was a Slytherin, ironically. I'm very surprised on that. Um, Second class is awarded for achievement, endeavors beyond the ordinary. The color for that is purple. Third class awarded to contribution to knowledge or entertainment that has gone even far past the ministry, and the color for that is white. Some of the most notable recipients are uh, Podrick Batworthy, who's one of the grandest sorcerers of all time, but is so far back in history, there's no timeline. Uh, Arcturus Black, who was um, the grandfather of Sirius Black, uh, won for services in uh, 1901. Albus Dumbledore, of course, won in 1945 for the defeat of Gellert Grindelwald. Cornelius Fudge, ironically, won in uh, 1991 for um, being a noble member and a contributor to the Ministry of Magic. Um, Others that were 
mentioned uh, that one, but were not notable for reasons. Um, Tilly Tope, 1932, it just says she was a minister that saved muggles and started a charity, but they still gave it to her. Um, she actually also fought off a green dragon with a charm, so she was notable for that. Um, uh, as Norvell Twank won in 1957 uh, for being a minister. He also saved a child. Newton Scamander won in 1979 and won for services of magical beasts. Uh, Gildery Lockhart, this is why I say not worthy, <laughs> because he won in 1982 for autobiographic, some of the best autobiographic written works and their experiences. Um, but in 1992, he lost the award for fraud. <laughs> so very sad there. Uh, last few notables, uh, Connors Moore Krogan, Unknown Time, won actually Supreme Mugwump. Uh, one of the highest awards, but not really notable because there's no in history. It's almost been a loss. It's so old. The Moxies Belbies won in 1970 for lycanthropy and the potion that we were talking about. Uh, we mentioned what a monocare was already. Um, Albus Dumbledore's Patronus, I mentioned this last time, is a phoenix, which is very uh, rare. They say we phoenix see that. means... Um, Gracious and virtuous soul who has overcome difficulties in life. So that's uh, really cool. Those are very rare. Myself. You gave up a spoiler, man. You gave up a spoiler. <laughs> oh, was that a spoiler? Oh, I guess technically it is. My bad. He, well, he does it in a later book, ears. but I'll... <laughs> it's fine, well, but uh, yeah, that, 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 comes up, that comes up later on in uh, future books. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, try to forget by the time we get there. We got a long time. <laughs> long, long time. Anyways, my Patronus is actually a dove, ironically. Uh, you can go take the test on Pottermore.com. They say dove means people pleaser or team player. So I can see how that could be. Very sad. Obviously, my Patronus is not going to be as cool as Harry's. Um Last notes, this is where I was saying the Quidditch team. I had a fact on a few facts on that. For Gryffindor's Quidditch team from 1990 to 1991, it was notable because it had Oliver Wood, Harry Potter, um, Fred and George. Fred and George, of course, were beaters. Harry Potter was a seeker. Oliver Wood was a keeper. Then, you know, this year, uh, well, in 1993 to 1994, um, we had Harry Potter as a seeker, Fred and George as beaters, Oliver Wood as a keeper. Angelina Johnson was the chaser. Alicia Spinnett, the chaser. Angelina Johnson later became team captain. Uh, and, of course, this was the first year they won the Quidditch Cup in years. Um, Slytherin, notable. In 1991, Marcus Flint was the chaser. Adrian Pouncey was the chaser. Uh, Miles Bushy was a keeper. And Terrence Higgins was a uh, seeker. Um, another notable team was the 1993 Ravenclaw, so actually this year. Uh, Roger Davis was captain this year. This is when they actually beat Hufflepuff by 130 points. Um, uh, But then, actually this was last year is when this was, but uh, the Chamber of Secrets was reopened, so he got screwed on that. But then in 1993 to 1994, Roger Davis came back, which was this year in Azkaban. Um, He was the captain. Randolph Burrow was a chaser. Jeremy Stratton was a chaser. Jason Samuels was a beater. Duncan Ingleby was the beater. Cho Chang was the seeker. 
Grant Page, were keeper, and that was, they said, the best team since 1980 when uh, they had that very famous season. Hufflepuff, uh, the only really big notable year during this time, 1992 to 1993, and one after that. Uh, Hufflepuff played one match this year. This was last year. Um, so they didn't really get judged because the Chamber of Secrets was reopened, but in 1993, only really notable year. Uh, they had Cedric Diggory, of course, my boy, as the captain and the seeker that put them on the map. No other notable players. And just think of this, I put this down, which is really cool. I mentioned this on the uh, last episode, I think. Um, since the Chamber of Secrets was open, the last year, this season, was basically canceled. So... Think about it. In Harry's second full season, he already won the Quidditch Cup. Like, that's insane. Like, Harry's second season, he's already got a ring on his finger. Breakfast at Tiffany's and Bottles and Bubbles. <laughs> exactly. But, yeah, that's all my interesting facts, man. I'll let you take it away. I just have one, and it's not even that cool. It's just something I found very interesting that's easy to sneak by. It's from Madam Hooch. When Harry finally gets his firebolt back, She's like examining it and she's talking about how it reminds her of the old silver arrows that's like a discontinued broomstick that they don't make anymore. Oh, so I just cool. thought it was really, yeah. really cool that you know we've heard of what, the Clean Sweep Sevens, the Comet two sixties, the Nimbus series. We've yet to hear anything about a silver arrow, and apparently Madame Hooch has been around this game for who knows how many years. Mm-hmm. And in her opinion, the silver arrows were the best broomsticks. So it's like you know, it stinks that those are discontinued. I wonder if there was a reason for it. Yeah. And then the other, the last interesting fact I had as well is that Madame Hooch admitted in like her own voice that that was the dirtiest game that she had ever witnessed was the one between Gryffindor and Slytherin. So those are just my, the two that I'll finish up with there. Yeah, man, that's good stuff. Awesome. Um, yeah, anything else you want to add before we yeah, uh, man. close us out? That's a good one. I'm looking forward to next week where we close out the book and then the week after that we will close out Azkaban as an entirety with the book and the movie differences episode and then uh yeah starting starting after that so basically what is it going to be three weeks we'll be starting Goblet of Fire which is you know not to ruin our um what's it called rankings for the end of Harry (laughs) Potter but uh Goblet of Fire is my favorite book uh, it has everything that I ever wanted uh, from from a Harry Potter yeah. book in it. Uh, it, it. So I'm excited about that. But we're still stuck on Azkaban for now. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. Azkaban's fantastic. It's been really great. It is funny how we keep seeing like the movies that we think were good. <laughs> so they kind of not stand the test of time when you kind of read the book and then watch the film. Like kind of like interchange with each other. You're like, oh my goodness. Like the movie... You know, you think it's great. You want to watch Harry Potter marathons, but in the end of the day, they don't hold the candle to the <laughs> great books. So I'm really pumped up about uh, finishing up Azkaban between uh, next week, finishing through the book, and then the week after that, talking about the differences between the books and movies. And yeah, I am I think that's a good place to, uh, to leave us for today. What we've covered was been the beginning of chapter 10 through the end of chapter 15 so that took us from the marauders map to the end of the quidditch cup final and tomorrow not tomorrow i'm sorry uh, next week we will tackle um chapter 16 through the end of the book and then the final episode will be just again straight differences so yeah what do you say man yeah we still got a, a long ride it's gonna be it's good stuff ride or die baby we're riding this train off the rails 
Uh, still got two more weeks of the darkest prison in the world, and then we got one of the deadliest tournaments coming up after that. And I'm really excited to dive back into that book because I think, you know, people describe Azkaban as where people really picked up, but it's still very funny because if you think of that iconic Harry Potter book, one that always rings in everyone's mind, I feel like instantly is Goblet of Fire. Like, that's what comes to everyone's mind right away. Um, you know, that's where your iconic rides <laughs> kind of came from and all that. And, and, I mean, it was the first... I mean, the book, like, I remember when it came out as a child, I was like, this thing is massive. Look, it's huge. There's so, a noticeable um, jump. That's actually a really good point that you brought. Between The differences between Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets was, like, 30, 40 pages. It barely looked any different, like, barely any thicker. than even this one, even in Prisoner of Azkaban, and, like, it was bigger, but, like, not crazy. Like, it wasn't, like, a crazy yeah. difference. The difference between Azkaban <laughs> and the Goblet of Fire is, like, oh, wow. Like, there's some detail in this bad boy, so that's yeah. going to be cool. Uh, but uh, we got to we gotta give Azkaban our full attention for the next couple of weeks, and it deserves it because it holds its the test of time on its own. Yeah, man. Uh, this is uh, Chase and Josh. Whoa, 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 oh, whoa. Oh, yeah. What, in what in. world... In what world do we sign <laughs> off like that? Because it's not this one, guys. What <laughs> yeah, we but... always say around here, this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Expecto. Patronum. Signing off! <laughs> <laughs>